plots of land and the starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. Don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me off forever by ask you please. Don't fence me Yes. Good morning. Happy July 4th holiday weekend, everybody. What are you all doing? You all here? You all good? I'm going on vacation. Gia Valenti just back from vacation, so. Good morning, this about a Gia. Good morning, good morning. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. I like we have the only... Uh, the only carbonated water at the filling station. It's a gasoline station. <laughs> carbonated water. Sparkling. Sparkling smart sparkling water. Sparkling smart. I just wanted some water. It's actually nice and refreshing. refreshing. With gas. Yeah. Yeah, with gas. With gas. Good. Don't fence me. So you had a vacation. You were in Tuckerland. Well, back to the you're back for vacation. Right. It's good. Good morning, this morning. Hey, everybody. Austin Peterson's going to come in just a little bit. Let's have a little time. So. Here at Fano at 7. I'm going to talk to Jim Tallow at 7.30. I kind of smushed everybody into one little, little area there. I probably asked And all of them. Yeah. Don't fence me. Talent, not so Don't much. Fence Austin, me. you know, he, he's got. He's doing fine. And Carafano likes to talk. Jeremy Bailey is one of those 10 minutes. I noticed that when I interviewed her a while back, and she was really kind of surprised I was continuing to talk to her. Because she's used to doing the. Dinosaur Radio, right. you're, you're under all these kinds of different uh, restrictions and time restrictions, things like, things like that. So it, it takes a little while to kind of get used to that, that, that I can actually talk to her for an extended period of time. So she gets a little bit, I can tell she was kind of like surprised when I asked like the, the seventh question. And what are you doing over there? You need to turn that phone oh, off. Maybe. off. Yeah, you're, well, you're, you're, I'm listening to myself. Oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah, well, of course you didn't hear that. <laughs> Nobody ever does. They ne- they never they never uh, you know hear their nose I whistles like to, or anything. Well, it's I like, like to have it on because Margaret has uh, great comments. Well, but you but she's typing them. I know. Yeah. She, so I can read them. She, I didn't you can't mean to hear have them. It, on. it wasn't yeah, intentional. Right. I'm sorry. It's okay. Just, <laughs> just giving you a, you know. Yeah. No, we can't have that. I thought, what is that? At least you don't do this. <laughs> or this. Hi, Phil. 
Hi, Phil. Love you, You got to work the mic. <laughs> it's like you just got to gotta learn. So, yes, uh, busy day today and busy over the weekend. We had the big immigration rally in St. Louis. And they're why why you would want to abolish ICE is ridiculous. And I understand there are certain people, even Judge Napolitano, who believes that there are these kinds of natural assumed rights that to travel anywhere. And I, I, I respect Judge Napolitano, and I certainly respect even some people who are more open border than others. But the problem is it's not workable in modern society. That's just the bottom line. It's just that simple. And and worse, even though it sounds good and sounds libertarian and highfalutin and godly and everything else to say that there should be no borders and that man has a God-given natural human blah, blah, blah to travel anywhere they want to, it's not a just way to operate a society. It's not just on behalf of the people who are migrating, and it's not just on the people who are hosting. It doesn't make any practical sense to burden a society with people who otherwise just become siphons. So, uh, in fact, Austin Peterson is the one who sent me the Judge Napolitano article, and he was talking about basically that there should be no borders, really, in the end, that, that you know, natural law says this and this and this. That's great when you aren't the person who has to pay to upkeep the people. That's great right. when you are not the society that has to take in a bunch of people and bear the weight of citizens who aren't producing, who aren't productive, and for that matter, who aren't legal. So people who claim somehow that we should have no borders, no ice, no this, no that. And I know there are people who say, well, wow, he's a conservative and he doesn't believe in closed borders and that kind of thing. It doesn't make any practical sense. It's not fair to the society that's adopting these people. And you know what? It's not fair to the migrants themselves. I've made this case before, Gia, even though obviously Gia Valenti, Italian, you had Italian immigrants, your family, what, probably came over in the 20s? Yes. Yeah. They did through Ellis uh, Island and yeah, everything else? Yeah, through Ellis Island. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, you know, the, the argument could be made, well, my parents came over here through Ellis Island and everybody's – we're all a nation of immigrants. And that's true. My family came over my, on my mom's side in the 1600s and in my father's side in more of the 1840s. But the fact of the matter is that's, that is true. But – they came over in an orderly fashion where they were uh, made to be legal citizens. When you are not a legal citizen, first of all, you're not accountable. You have no loyalty to the country except through whatever paycheck you're getting. And when you're not a legal citizen, you're putting yourself in all kinds of different hazardous situations where you are – and I've been through this before, so I hope I'm not trying, repeating myself, but you're in a situation where you are untethered to any legal operation. You're so afraid of getting caught because you're illegal that even if you are robbed, beaten, raped, assaulted, whatever, you are not calling the police because they're, you're afraid. Right. You are being abused as a worker. You're working for nothing 
and the employer knows that you're illegal and they've got you bent over. They, you, they can make you do anything. Right. That's not a humane process. Agree. And so when President Trump today or over the weekend said, and he, and he, and he made a statement about this, he said that we need to set up these detention centers, these camps, tent cities, he called them, for upwards of 12,000 illegal immigrants. That, of course, was met with all these crazy ideas of internment camps and everything else. But to the left out there, I would argue that you don't have a hold on morality or humanity for that matter because you're in a situation where you're okay with catch and release, which is somebody's caught at the border or caught being illegal. Then they're released into society waiting for their court date. Those people, first of all, never wind up ultimately in court or rarely do. And secondly, they're in a situation where they're off and running and they have, again, nobody taking care of them. They're just off into the wild. How humane is that? It's not humane at all. Yeah. When you have somebody who is in a, in a camp uh, or, or in a tent city, so to speak, that to me is a lot more humane than catch and release. And the left won't ever admit that. They'll never admit that their policies themselves are inhumane, that their policies promoting subcultures are humane. Uh, they, they just – they absolutely have no – in my opinion, regard for the human condition. And I can make that argument all day long. And you all should too when you're out there and you're confronted with friends who are talking about President Trump's immigration policy. You should ask them and you should challenge them, not at the gasoline station, by the way, or at the grocery store or wherever else Maxine Water and her army of waters and her army of fools decided they were gonna do that. By the way, you stopped in a few gas, sure gas stations on, on vacation. Several times. Yeah. Did any of her uh, minions confront you? No. Of course not. Nope. Mm-mm. No one. Yeah. We were safe. Yeah. Because they're blathering cowards. They're on Twitter, they're on Facebook, and they're uh, worming their way through Maxine Waters' mouth, but they're nothing. Do people realize when and why ICE was set up? No. Tell us when and why ICE was set well, up, I mean, It was Gia. set up in 2001. Yes. Because of 9-11. Yes. So it's to keep us protected from the bad guys that can get into our country. Right. So what I'm wondering is at what point down there at the border are we able to delineate between who is a good guy and who's a bad guy? Yeah. I we, mean, how do you do that? Why not just adopt the standards of... Mexico, you want to, you, you all want to, you, and this is another thing you want to say to the people who are confronting you about this. Because a lot of you out there in Facebook land and on Twitter land and whatever have a variety of mixed friends where you're talking about politics in these social media elements. I really, on my Facebook page, don't do any of that. Uh, I, I learned long ago that I have, with all my friends and everybody else, I don't want everybody fighting. I can't monitor it. So I don't do politics on the Facebook page. I do only family stuff, friend stuff, fun stuff. On the Almond uh, in the morning or the Radio Free Almond page, I do stuff like that. But, but I really don't bother with it right. on my private page, my personal page, just because. But other, some of you, though, do get into it. And 
you just need to be very assertive and and very strong when it comes to talking about these these matters and about what's going on at the border and immigration and challenge these people and, and challenge their own morality because they're they're making you out to be immoral is what they're they're making you out to be a Nazi they're making you out to be a person who supports policies that are inhumane whatever else but challenge them on on that matter and tell them exactly what's going on as far as how you feel about whether or not something is moral or immoral immoral and also if you if you want to because the boy i'll tell you the left they love to talk about morality and they love to talk about protecting children but support policies murdering millions of them right that's just a fact it is a fact abortion is murder and if you support it you support the murdering of babies that's that's what it is and so if you want to get right down to it then don't I'm not going to listen to a lefty telling me about how bad it is to have children captured with their families at the border uh, and and being, you know, anti-kid or anti-child when you're supporting murdering them. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I, and I'm not a I'm not a rabid pro-lifer. I'm not I'm not I'm not going to march around with pictures of dismantled fetuses, babies on a poster. I'm not I'm not going to stand in front of an abortion center and prevent you from going in, anything like that. And I also promote more – I'm going to call them progressive, but, but that's probably the wrong term. I, I'm also – in my pro-life activity, I'm less supportive of more laws and more supportive of more organizations that promote life. So, right. so I, I'm not one of the people who, who love the idea of a state legislature passing a – you know, a vaginal screening exam before you have an abortion, all those kinds of things. I'm not, I'm not supportive of that. I right. don't believe that we need more laws. I believe we, we just need more options for women. That's which where my pro-life attitude comes from. So I'm not, you know, when I say abortion is murder, I'm not one of these people who I want you to go to jail for it or that kind of thing. I'm just telling you that's, it, it is a matter of fact that that's what it is. Right. Yeah, it is. So, you know, when I, when I hear you, talking about how much you love children and how mean President Trump is to children, there's nothing more mean than murdering one. So that that's just the way it is. It sounds like this is going to be a state-by-state uh, issue. Ultimately, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, and I think ultimately what we're going to have is the, the it bounced back by the Supreme Court. We'll see. But you know, I will tell you also, and this is kind of on another subject here, but I've been really on this tear. There's an article that is out, and I'll, I'll call it up for you uh, when we have after the break. But uh, tell I, let's see, at 8, okay. Uh, you mean, hold on a second. Jim Carafano is just texting me, if you don't mind uh, talking amongst yourselves right now. Mm-hmm. 8, uh, you mean, yeah, let's see, you mean 7 Central? I just want to make sure. I have a fly. In here? Yeah. It's, I, it's cold. Well, the fly's not going to last long because it's cold in here. It's I, the best enemy a for a fly. I a Is a uh, – <laughs> well, I, I'm not cold. I'm just saying it's cold for a fly. It, it, that's true. If you're a fly, you don't like that, it in here. No. You start to slow down. Mm-hmm. They do slow down. Then that's when you can get them. That's when you can hit them. Yeah. With a fly swatter. That's the only bug I actually kill indoors. Then I, then I send them out uh, packing. They're gross. 
But there is a... <laughs> they lay eggs, and the eggs turn into maggots. Ew, shush. <laughs> it's true. I know they do. <laughs> you know, I love... There's, a, there's an article out uh, in the American Spectator called The Collapse of the Never Trump Conservatives, and it's a really good article because it's absolutely devastating to the likes of Bill Kristol and Eric Erickson and... George Will and all these and, – and Jonah Goldberg and all these guys out there who didn't want President Trump to win and, and who are now finding themselves just foundering. They have nowhere to go. Uh, they are absolutely idiots and their lives have been broken after they tried to go hog wild and – put Hillary Clinton in office and now are just abject failures. And Stephen Hayes is another one. I keep seeing him on Fox News. Stephen Hayes hated President Trump. Uh, what's your face? What's that? Who's that ditz in the afternoon on Fox? Oh, Dana Perino. Dana Perino hated Donald Trump. That it, That's Jasper's mom. Yeah, okay. her dumb dog Jasper. Is well, that her husband or something? Because does she have like, have, is she married? Yeah. Okay. Because she talks a lot more about her dog than she does her husband, I'll tell you that. That Jasper dog. Yeah, Jasper. I don't mean Pictures. to be mean, but but I, I can't tolerate I can't tolerate watching her and, and and keep in mind, these are people, okay? These are people who if they had their way, you would have a Supreme Court, a liberal Supreme Court that will wind up being six to three as opposed to a conservative one winding up being six to three. I mean, do you have any comprehension of what kind of world you would be in with a Supreme Court six to three liberal? Terrifying. But that's what they wanted. Oh, I know. Never forget the likes of Glenn Beck and other people out there, some of the people you know who uh, actually are on the radio here in town who were never Trumpers, and they wanted, they would have, in their world, Hillary Clinton would have been a preferable president. Imagine the outlook for your country and your children if the never Trumpers prevailed. It would be unbelievably miserable. Hillary Clinton would be president right now, and Ginsburg would have already retired. So right. she would have – Ginsburg was waiting for Hillary to be elected before she was retired. That's why she stayed in she office. Stayed, hung in there. Because they wanted to – it was Hillary's little prize was the Ginsburg seat. Mm-hmm. And, and they never thought President Trump was going to win. So they went ahead and, and, and she didn't at that point then retire even though she's basically skin and bones right now. Right. But they wanted to, they wanted to keep her in – in the the attic, so to speak, a, a la Psycho, and let her sit there in a rocking chair, waiting for Hillary Clinton to be uh, president. Is that mean? No, I'm sorry. She was. I'm not trying to be mean. I don't like no. to make physical disparagements. But I'm just saying that's the only reason she's there. She can barely speak. Right. But and and she was friends with Antonin Scalia, and she seems to be a nice woman. I'm just saying that she was. They were reserving that seat for Hillary. Well, so she would have lo- she would have already resigned. She would have resigned on on or or quit or retired on January 25th for crying out loud. Right. 
mm-hmm. of 2000 of 2017 and so that seat would have already been filled with a liberal then Kennedy would have retired let's just pretend that things are going the way they're going right. then Kennedy would retire and that's you know the second one and then I guess there's another one possibly in the offing down the line as well who who might be getting out of there too. Hmm. So nonetheless, you'd have two Supreme Court justices that would have been all Hillary's. Yep. That would have been a disaster. Absolutely. But that's what the never Trumpers preferred. Keep in mind, they, they that's what they preferred. And, and never forget that. I mean – the idea that some of these guys are back in in the you know Ben Shapiro, all these guys they did not want President Trump to win. Look at the look at the list of the folks at the National Review. There were I think there were twenty one of them who wrote articles bashing President Trump. Right, remember that one? We must stop Trump, or I can't remember Ben Murphy. Texted it to me one time. The cover, I forgot about what the cover looked like. I forgot what the actual title on the cover was, but it said, President Trump must be stopped. And again, I'm not a person who, I'm not a vengeful person. I don't want people punished or whatever, but you have to realize that those people, the world that they would have created for you, because it wasn't, here's the thing, it wasn't about you. It was all about them. It wasn't, it wasn't about the country. It was all about them. It wasn't about the future. It was all about them. It wasn't about your kids. It was all about them. It was all about them. Most of them had careers that were dependent on somebody to bitch about all the time. And Hillary would have been that person. Hillary would have kept some of these guys in business, that's what they imagined because they thought, well, what, having a successful Republican isn't going to sell my book about how the world is going south and about how your gun rights are all in jeopardy or this or that. And so they they needed it commercially. And George Will was one of the worst. George Will, I, I remember when George Will wrote about President Trump and was so upset about him. I remember when he did that, and then I looked at that article. Then I, w- I went back into the day when Reagan was the potential nominee. And I'll be damned if George Will didn't say the exact same thing he said about Trump about Ronald Reagan. And that Ronald Reagan was an interloper, an invader in the Republican Party, didn't belong here, and and yet – Wow, it was like he it was like he just took an old article and put a whole old anti-Reagan article and put Trump's Trump. name in it. I mean, that's that's kind of how I felt about it. But don't forget folks, these 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 people did not have your interests at heart and just invi- imagine. I I guess I'll I'll find that article and I'll put it in the comment section there. I'll I'll post it in the comment okay. section so you can see it. They're uh they're uh, everyone's reeling right now because What are they reeling about, Gia? Well, he's winning. Oh, I thought. Oh, I thought you were talking about people on Facebook. Oh no, no, no! I just mean in the people. The oh yeah, the left. They're reeling. Oh no, they're, yeah. They're and you know for this for what the media depicts them as this horrible person, right? Yet the June eighteenth to the twenty fourth Gallup numbers are he's he's favorable. Oh yeah, he's over. I think over forty five percent right now. Yeah, 
The numbers are going up. He's more popular than Obama was Extremely. at this stage of the game. And, 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 the, and the media just will – because they're too busy trying to – they're too busy. Like all these people in downtown St. Louis over the immigration thing, mm-hmm. these, are the, these are the same people who were downtown after the Stockley verdict. They were the same people downtown after President Trump was inaugurated. They were all the same people. All the, every, every, every home in Webster Groves was vacant. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're all the same people. And, and the faces are the same, with the exception of maybe, I don't know whether Antifa's down there or not, wherever they went, but they're the same usual suspects, the same faces, the same everybody. Can I ask you a question? Yes, Gia, and you can the ask Facebook a question. People, the Facebook people question? Yes. Is anybody else bothered by all of these people who are bringing their children to these events? It really bothers me. Well, they're uh, for them, it's a teaching moment. Right. I understand that. I don't know why it bothers me so much. Uh, it, it really – and I, I suppose it's, you know, this is a little bit of a stretch, but, you know, I take my kids to church, right? This is – Yes. I'm, they're little people. They don't know anything. I mean, they do now because they're in Catholic school and they're being educated. Right. But, you know, you baptize a baby. They don't know what they're being baptized into. So I understand – it just kind of – I don't know. But for some reason, when you have pussy hats on your head, it doesn't seem appropriate to me. No. At all. I find that to be really inappropriate. Kids with those hats on? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no. Yeah, that would that, not be good. That's, and I saw that happening during that time. Yeah. And it really – it just – I feel like I need to take a shower. Well, these people, they go to their closets, and it's like, okay, let's see. Do I pick out the Black Lives Matter placard? No, that was, another, that was for another one. Let me pick out the Donald Trump Nazi placard. Okay, I'll grab that one. Kids, you grab the other, you know, and then let's all go. When I come downstairs after waking up uh, on a Sunday morning, the first words out of my kid's mouth is, can we go swimming? And, and in, in their worlds, the first words out of their mouth is, come on, kids, let's go downtown and protest. It's like, yeah. It just really bothers me. I saw some people with posters over the weekend on my Facebook feed, abolish ice, and they're standing there with their kids. And I'm thinking, don't, I just, again, that's why I asked the question earlier, do people understand why ice was established and what its purpose is and the homeland security issues that they, and there are over 20,000 people who are employed with ice. Yeah. It's 20,000 jobs. I guess it's better than them holding – I guess it was better than, than, the, than the one they held before, which was F the police, right. I'm sure. So uh, I, I, so I, who knows? It's the same. And these kids then go to school, and they're the kids. There's always that one kid in the classroom who, you know, in, who's you know, all of like 11 screeching out lefty mantras about Trump and that kind of thing and bothering the entire class. Those kids are, but I think in their mind, you know, and, and we all know that they think they're doing their children a service. service. They're teaching them about social justice and things like that. But really what, what all those protests are really in the end, it's just another extension of how ass hurt they are over the elections and they will have none of it. They, they just, they just hit the streets and it's a temper tantrum is what it is. Yep. And, and people could say, well, the Tea Party was similar to that. Yeah, I guess you could say that when the Tea Party had rallies, but they were talking about specific related to like like, like the health care and, you know, the issues. They, they, weren't, they weren't trying to abolish the health care system or abolish this or abolish this. They were about trying to uh, exact a uh, 
level of political energy, and I think these people are too, but there were very few people in the Tea Party who held up pictures of President Obama as, a, as Hitler or right. things like that. That's, that's, where the, that's where the separation is. And if you're just an issue-oriented person, I get that. Yeah, uh, I understand. But, but when, you're, when these people, though, for instance, in the, in the uh, downtown over the weekend, were they out there when President Obama was locking people up? President Obama deported more people than, than anybody before him did. I mean, deported more people. I don't know where the outrage was there. And, and the cages that we see on TV or that we saw on TV, those cages were created by Barack Obama. Or maybe not created by him, but utilized by him. And those people weren't out there then. Nope. So you'd, you'd think that you'd be a little more consistent uh, in the end, but they but they are not. All right, coming up, Jimmy Carafano is going to join us. And I think I've got that straightened out with him. Let me just check and see because he, he – uh, he texted me and said, I'll, I'll talk to you at 8. And uh, and and I think he meant 7, but 8 to him. Because people on the East Coast, they live in, in their own world, you know. You still think it's, what, you still think it's uh, 7.30, yeah. don't you? Yeah, I'm still an hour ahead. Yeah, in South mm-hmm. Carolina, in where South- that's where the time is, yep. 7.30 there. Well, so I'm going to get Jimmy on at 7. Then at 7.30, Jim Talent's going to join us. Then at about 7.45, Austin Peterson is going to be in. Don't forget that, let's see, coming up next Saturday, is that the 7th? Mm-hmm. Okay, Cortland Sykes has a big old barbecue going yep. on. I think we put a link up there on the Almond in the Morning, or Almond in the Morning, the Radio Free Almond fan page. Alicia did. Alicia did? Mm-hmm. Okay, so she's got that. I'll be there. I think I'm putting up a hat and a bumper sticker and a T-shirt to auction off. Cool. For what Cortland's going to take the money. I'm not taking You're the not money. You're not taking the money. No. No. I thought you'd take money for all these things. No? <laughs> no. Is that a big? Yeah, that was a big thing. Yeah, technically, I guess th- technically I'm making a campaign contribution to Cortland Sykes. Wow. By putting that T-shirt in there and the, and the hat. Mm. But I guess technically I was making a campaign contribution to Tony Minetti by doing the emceeing services for nothing. Right. That would be like an in-kind donation, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. And then on the 11th, I'm going to be out at Cool Dell. Is it Cool Dell or Cool Dells? Cool Dell. Cool Dell. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be out there on Wednesday, and that's going to be uh, at, at a Peter Pfeiffer event out there. That's going to be in the evening. Yeah. That's in Manchester. I'm sure Peter has some he'll, – he'll be on Facebook here telling you all about that. And I guess I'm going to speak or do whatever there. And then – Austin Peterson, he's got to. He better come up with an event. Maybe I could just drive his bus for a day. Drive for the free. Austin Peterson bus for a an day. An in-kind donation. Yeah, right. You could pull up at the gasoline station and get into <laughs> fights and everything else. So, but he's going to be about seven forty-five, uh, close to eight o'clock. So, Gia Valenti, great to have you in. And folks, feel free to comment. I'll have you be the Facebook comment monitor. Oh, okay. okay? Yeah. We can we can include all the people because eventually, as you know, we're all. Uh, kind of, we're kind of rebuilt. We're not rebuilding. What we're improving upon the Radio Free Almond Studio, and ultimately we're going to have our phone lines and things like that. I'm really looking forward to having the phones in, and that'll be by the end of summer when we kind of retool the studio. But I'm really looking forward to having the the, the phone lines in, so people can talk to us. So we've got that going for us towards the end of the uh, end of the season. But in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem. 
say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we've watched we're so gallantly streaming and the rock is red glare the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was Spangled banner and wave o'er the land of the free. Turned out to be so inconvenient. What? And wishing I was with you just seems to use up all my time. You've been gone so long that it's hard to recall just how the dream went. And all but this broken heart in me, I guess, is doing. Is it still over? Are we still through? Since my phone still ain't ringing, I assume it still ain't you. I've had my mind to take the time to find somebody new, but I'm not too sure that I'm still over you. That lie that I tried to slip by you was told with good intentions. It was just another way to say I love you and protect you from the truth. And half a pound of cure is surely worth a half an ounce of pure prevention. Trying to explain while I'm insane The hardest thing I've ever tried to do Is it still over? Are we still through? Since my phone still ain't ringing I assume it still ain't you But I've had mind to take the time To find somebody new But I'm not too sure that I'm still over you One of the greatest voices in country music, baby. Is it still over? 
great Randy Travis. Man, is he awesome. Remember seeing him. He's got he's kind of a student of George Jones. He's got a little bit of that George Jonesy thing going for him. And that was one of his heroes. And in fact, last time I saw Randy Travis was in uh, in Nashville when I was at George Jones's funeral. And he was not, you know, he's been he's been he's had some tough times. Randy Travis has, you know. He's a friend of a friend. Is he? Mm-hmm. I love the guy. Is he? Do, does your does your friend of a friend report good things about him now? Because he see he for a while there he was not doing real well, and now he's kind of back back in a little bit. But he's had some tough times. He's had tough times, yes. But he he's doing he, well now. Good. I'm glad to hear that and because he performed at George Jones's funeral, and he was you know. Looking kind of frail, but it, he, mm-hmm. it was just after one of his episodes or something, and so, uh, but but a good guy and a really hugely talented guy. Did you all recognize that? Speaking of uh, country music, although there are people who will, if I who are country music fans, and if I mention Rascal Flatts to them, they'll revolt because they 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 won't claim Rascal Flatts as a country music band per se some purists out there but i happen to like rascal flats i happen to like a lot of their songs and nonetheless would you recognize that national anthem i i knew it you did i did but i'm a rascal flats fan okay but that's like saying is do are the purists against um darius ruckers being a country music guy yeah and i know you know yeah. hootie yeah right no i mean you know i i I don't have. I really don't have. Uh, or how about the Taylor? time to worry about stuff like Taylor's that? Taylor's a traitor. Yeah, I know. I just she went pop. <laughs> I know. Taylor. <laughs> yeah. So that was it. That was from the 2013. I think that was Game Four of the World Series in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. That was right here in St. Louis when Rascal Flatts did that yep. that national anthem, and it was uh, very well done. All right. So did you see the interview? Oh, by the way, too, I texted this to you yesterday, Gia, as a, as a possible discussion for today. And that is the Laura Ingalls Wilder issue. Uh, and as you know, Little House in the Prairie is a, a book that um, sp- particularly a lot of you ladies uh, grew up reading, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I didn't – and why it was – it was just kind of a g- girl thing for the most part, uh, although I remember watching the TV show Little House in the Prairie. Right. And the Waltons. and The Waltons. You know. I love the Waltons. Did you like Jim the Waltons? Bob? I didn't really watch the Waltons too much. I mean, it was on, but I was definitely a Little House on the Prairie girl. The Waltons was such a little was so was so purely wholesome. wholesome. Mm-hmm. You know, I was trying to figure out like what the problems were that they had. Like every they, I don't know how they were able to manage once a week to have an entertaining show. They did though. But there was always some dilemma, but it was never really a big deal. Right. It was something that, you know, somebody had some issue going on or whatever. I don't know. Somebody stole a pack of gum or something. You know, it was one right. of those things. Or lied you know, or something, and it became a big family ordeal. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a good, good show, yeah, though. Simpler, simpler times. Yes, they were. I think it was on on a Sunday night. Because I remember, I seem to remember smushing it into, like, uh, when 60 Minutes was on and the Waltons. I don't remember when Little House in the Prairie was on. But Melissa Gilbert, 
Oh, yeah. Michael Landon. <laughs> Michael Landon? Mm-hmm. Bless you. All right, thank you. Did you ever hear any anti-Indian stuff in that show? Not that I remember. Or I I'm mean, sorry, come Native, on. Native, Native American. Can Indians. you say Indian? I don't know. Oh. Like they don't you call can't it- say Indian style when you sit. Yeah. It's crisscross applesauce. Right. Or Indian giver. Indian giver can't say that. Mm-hmm. Did, did the, the word, the term Indian giver, though, I was wondering, like, does that come from, because um, I always thought it was the, the white settlers who gave they, and then took, took back. Away. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, but, so why, why did they, how did the Indians <laughs> get tagged with that? Those poor people. I don't know. But anyway, but, but you don't call it a Native American reservation, though. I've, I've I've heard it all called an Indian reservation. Indian reser- well, because there are different types of Indians, right? Right. So you can't. You have to. Different reservations have different names, right? Yeah, but but they don't. What they refer to them in a in a in a regular fashion. fashion they they call them Native Indian re- reservations. Right. They don't call them Native, Native American reservations. Right. So I don't understand. You know, it's like it's like. You're not supposed to use the word handicapped, but they they call it handicapped parking. parking. And, you know. Or handicapped accessible. Right. Right. But you're not supposed to use the word handicapped. Right. But they use it anyway. Yes. Some of the people who, have, who ha- are allowed by God to use it, apparently. Yes. Others, the, the rest of us unwashed masses must abide by the rules. So anyway. This is the book. It was like some book award deal. And the, the Association of Library Service to Children. Uh, this was uh, even back in 1952. Some reader complained that they were offended by a statement in Little House on the Prairie about Indians, Native Americans. And they pointed to the book's opening chapter called Going West. And this, of course, goes all the way back to 1935, right? And they were looking for unvarnished, unoccupied land. And there's a character named Pa, right? You know Mm -hmm. who that is, right? Yeah. Modeled after Laura Ingle Wilder's dad. And he tells of his desire to go where the wild animals lived without being afraid where the land was level and there were no trees, and where there were no people. Only Indians lived there. That was the statement that these people didn't like right. in, 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 this, in this. The complaint said it was unbelievable that no one who published the book ever noticed that for 20 years, and that the sentence appeared to imply that Native Americans were not people. people. And I don't, I don't think that was Current. what the insinuation really was. Uh, but it was somebody, even in 1952, who apparently was a was problem. So in 1953, they changed people to settlers in that sentence. So back in 1953, they, they changed the settlers, and it still didn't make people happy. So they 
kept on going ever since 1953, describing Laura Ingalls Wilder's depictions of Native Americans and some blacks as racist. racist. So now, finally, for whatever reason, in 2018, the Association for Library Service to Children, which is a division of the American Library Association, boy, I would go to one of their (laughs) monthly meetings. They stripped Wilder's name from an award, from from their publishing award. And so now no longer will that be associated with this uh, with this award they give uh, for books. And so they decided that they were going to uh, they're going to strip her name from a from a book award because of that. And this is this is going back all the way to 1953. But for whatever reason, 2018, that's their thing now. Mm -hmm. So the. this is another example of where people are just attempting to purge all of these cultural, iconic books, movies, statues, you name it, from society to kind of cleanse our society somehow and, 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 and keep and, and change even the wording of certain classics to where – they're really not then at that point the authors at all. When they mess with blazing saddles, you may see Where me, are you, the white women at? You may see me protest. <laughs> and I'm not a protester. Well, th- these are things, but they're they're looking at things uh that here's here's the deal. There's a woman who wrote uh a book called Prairie Fires, The American Dreams of Laura Ingalls Wilder. And they said that, yeah, there are racial insensitivities in these books. That doesn't mean children shouldn't read them. And there was a column in the Washington Post that she wrote after the association announced that they were going to be stripping Wilder's name from the award. And she said um, that the Library Association evokes the anodyne view of literature that it has fought against and that no book, including the Bible has ever been universally embraced. I mean, and that's true. If you go back, there are things in the Bible that there are multitudes of people they they could find offensive in there. And yet it still remains a book that people read. And that sometimes that there are people who choose to overlook certain things in it, in those depictions. I mean, the same thing happened with Mark Twain and Huck Finn. Huck Finn, all these books, and purging these things from our culture isn't going to change a thing. Uh, it, it, in fact, no one in their right mind, if they were teaching a book or talking about a book, would and, and a child asked about, oh, what does this mean, would would reaffirm a racial insensitivity. I mean, that just wouldn't happen. Did you notice any of that when you were a kid? Reading the book? No. Not, I mean, not at all. You know, we were, I, I feel like we, it just, the, all of these things were not a massive focus. You know, we, everything is so literal nowadays. Everybody is just reading every word of every, or following every person's statement and just focusing on every literal, kind of what happened with you, it, figure of speech, 
colloquialism, like that none of that is acceptable anymore. We have to be so careful about everything we say as to not offend anyone. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it's and it's it's not a, uh, in my opinion, a mark of uh, intelligence, really, to be that simple-minded. Right. I mean, like for the, we're like, yeah, you meant you just mentioned my tweet, um, and, and I'm, I was going to post this on the. Um, ultimately, I, w- I will on on Twitter because there's all this talk about how, in the wake of that shooting, at that at that newspaper. And oh, it's, yeah. it was a, it was a horrible thing, and the guy was a psycho. But the paper also picked on him, and I'm not saying that they're deserving then of being shot up. But don't try to argue that journalists everywhere are doing a service to the community. I'm not saying they should be attacked or physically harmed, but don't BS me about the service that journalists do for our community on a regular basis. They, they, most of them don't. Uh, and many of them are hacks. And actually the story about this guy who actually wound up shooting those people was defamatory. Uh, it, it was, they, they were picking on, they took a case where a guy stalked somebody on Facebook and decided to make that into a derisive kind of story about this guy Jared wants to be your friend was the title of the of the story. Now that is a derisive uh, and, and uh, accusatory title of a of a story that was that actually is inaccurately portraying this guy who didn't because when you read the story, Jared wants to be your friend. If you're reading it, he doesn't want to be your friend. So that's that headline off the bat is is erratic. And so I'm not, I'm not, but I'm not saying they deserved it uh, because obviously that's not uh, the, the proper way to do it. But this is, but, but, but what happened is basically a symptom of the kind of hackery that happens at newspapers every day. Well, the other thing is, and I think Phil said last week, don't poke the psycho. If you read that story, the, the, that's an unstable person you're dealing with. Yeah. I mean, that's an unstable person. And now you, do something with a headline like that. Well, they, they and, and and basically they they picked on him because they knew he couldn't really fight back. Right. Until that's why that's why they that's why they don't pick on uh, like they that's why they like for instance the Post Dispatch when they were after Greitens the way they because he didn't have anybody defending him Republican or Democrat right. for that matter not many people at least. Yeah. I mean you have you have an article in the Post Dispatch where Tony Messenger one time accused a sitting state representative of rape, and in a story that turned out to be completely false. I mean how how is that possible that 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 is a the the uh, Proper, how is it possible that that's an that's a example of great journalism? And back to the, my tweet, there's a guy over the RFT, and, and they'll soon know what happens to you when you misrepresent and you defame. But he actually had a tweet about my article that said that I wanted to anally penetrate David Hogg. Ugh. Now, of course, th- that was com- that's completely false and misleading and malicious because, because if you look at the Riverfront Times and its reporting during that time, it was – they were 
the reporters were all copied on tweets that were celebrating my firing at the radio station. And they even asked in a headline on one of their tweets uh, why I was still around after that tweet. So so we, you knew that they had as their purpose to get me off the air. So whatever they were doing after stating that purpose uh, proved that they were indeed doing what they did with malice and how they how they don't understand that. And see, now normally some hapless person out there because the RFT's done this before, where they they put people in their papers and, and deride them and mock them, knowing that no one's going to have the resources to battle back to them. Right. I happen to have the resources to battle them, and I will. But they assume that everybody they, they attack is just going to walk away and slink away mm-hmm. and not fight back. But not Jamie Allman. Not me. Uh, and and they're going to be on a large list of individuals who are all going to be in the same predicament. But nonetheless, so so that and, and also at one point even he quoted as saying I wanted to ram a hot rod. He used it in quotes, hot rod, when I never never used that term at all. But he quoted it mm-hmm. like okay, like right verbatim what right. you said. And I think they assume that even though they've tried to erase that stuff, that I don't have that. But I do, and, right. and it's so. So again, back to your original statement about taking things literally. That's where this whole thing comes in, where people are taking everything so literally. So, uh, and, and, but 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 really, what they're doing is they're they're taking it literally, but but they're taking it literally for a uh, for a purpose, right? And for instance, to take me literally on that tweet. The only people that took me literally on the tweet were people who wanted me off the air, who right. didn't like my conservative voice on the air, right. and didn't like me supporting a certain candidate in the Parkway School District. And this was not at all about David Hogg. Everybody who was after me had a vested interest in the outcome of the Parkway School District election. That's what this was, the whole thing was about. But nonetheless, when people take things literally, they're doing so for the purpose of of uh, harming you. Absolutely. Uh, that's the only reason Absolutely. they're doing it. Or in this case, for the purpose of trying to cleanse something uh, because they want to clear any remnant of any insensitivity out of their realm. And that's that's why they're doing this. Because to take it literally, you know, for instance, I could look uh, at this particular sentence and not think that I guess you could say well so you're saying that 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 this is that there were no people only Indians live there that's like such a typical misrepresentation when you say what do you mean are you saying that that, that Indians aren't people it's like no I mean I even reading that right now uh I wouldn't take it that way I I, I wouldn't either I think of it as People as in a, pop, a heavily populated area yeah, of right. people. Yeah, that's how I interpret that sentence. Right. I don't interpret it. Oh, those Indians—they weren't people. Yeah, I mean, I guess you you could if, sure. if your stated I mean, if, purposes to make because it, it's funny how the the left oftentimes will draw attention to things that really is unnecessary, and right and, and, and or they'll they'll do it with blacks and other people. But they'll make they'll make something into something. 
and you're actually just drawing attention to stereotypes and things like that instead of instead of just keeping them where they they should sit and making a bigger deal out of them. But that's what's happening, well, man. So can I ask a question? Yes, Gia, ask away. Black lives matter, and then many of us say all lives matter. Right. That's not okay. All lives matter is not okay. Right. Okay. Because we're taking away from the fact that but the Black Lives Matter movement wants to be acknowledged for the lack of any concern or care for our black population. Right. So to say all lives matter is quite insulting. Well, to but, them, yeah. But they, Black Lives Matter is very, very literal. It's very specific right. to me. Yeah. And I, and I happen to not be a person when, when I hear Black Lives Matter, I don't all of a sudden insinuate I don't I've never made the point that what do you mean my life doesn't matter? I never I. I never really took it that way. Nor did I. I just assumed they were just focused on that they say Black Lives Matter. Not a deal, not a big deal. Right. Not not a thing. Right. Not a thing. I didn't take it personally that they left me, me out. out. Right. But so. if you have a had a sign that said White Lives Matter, watch out. Yep. They'd take that literally. But that's because they despise you. And so, you know, I, I don't happen to despise the people in Black Lives Matter. I disagree with many of them, but I don't happen to have a visceral hatred for them. So right. I'm not going to exploit make it an issue. some literal term to make it an issue and, and, get, and get on them about it. Right. But yeah, I mean, you know, but, but still... It's true. If I say all lives matter, they will insinuate that that is a thing and that you're at that point excluding blacks. And it's like, no, not doing that. Just putting everybody in there. But I've never thought – but I, but again, to the Black Lives Matter movement, I never, I never thought that that was my biggest beef against the Black Lives Matter right. movement was, it, was, was that they left white lives out of it. I just assume, okay, you're black. You say Black matters. Lives Matter. Oh, I get it. Not Sorry, I digress. No, no. I mean, but but it, but it's it's so true when it when it comes to all the uh, literal stuff. It, it's it, it you can you can go down that rabbit hole all you want. Jim Carafano's on the way, and lo and behold, it looks like the. Have you heard much about North Korea? Of course you haven't, because you know because in the end, what happens is uh, there's solutions there's progress there's even word that the denuclearization is actually happening so you got to move on to detention centers and kids in cages now because mm -hmm. you don't have anything else to gripe about and so we will uh, be talking about to Jim Carafano in just like oh maybe a matter of a uh, couple of seconds seven o'clock to be exact
From the Discovery Design Studio, baby. Building any kind of truck you need. Trucks from the ground up. I'll put a conveyor on there for you. They'll wrap a truck for you. They'll make a bed for you. They'll weld any part for you on it. You name it, you got it at Discovery Design out there in beautiful St. Peter's. And thank you guys on the Pogue family and the rest of the gang for uh, helping us out here and supporting Radio Free Almond. So appreciate that as well. Also appreciate my buddy Jimmy Carafana, who's always ready, always ready to go. Now, i got to do something differently here. We're going to test the uh, – just say testing one, two, three, Jim Carafano. Testing one, two, three. Is that a sobriety test? <laughs> that sounds good, man. All right, because so here's the deal: you get you you sound less clear than you would on Skype, but you sound just as great on this particular phone line. So great. Hey, can we talk about the serious stuff? Yes. So, um, what do you think of Leonard Cohen? You mean the composer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the poet singer. Dude. Yes, I like Leonard but, Cohen. Dude, okay. Yeah, I was at. Um, so I went to the uh, Judy Collins, Stephen Stills concert. Um, where I totally nailed the demographic. It, it it was the most, it was the only concert I've ever been to where I really was worried about getting trampled by people with walkers. <laughs> but, um, but they, they, and he is, Stephen still has like totally lost his voice, although he can still kill the guitar. Oh but no. They, they played a couple of Leonard Cohen, so apparently he, they were, she was big friends with, um, with Leonard Cohen. So anyway. Well, you know, let, good. they just didn't do their own music like they did the music of all their friends, which was I thought actually kind of interesting. Didn't Leonard Cohen write one of the most prolific songs sung by a variety, everybody? Kind of has to go through the Hallelujah yeah. version, right? Yeah, and actually, his version's kind of boring. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, uh, I'm not a big fan of his version of it, but um, it is an, an incredibly powerful. He was a great lyricist. I mean, there's just no question about that. I mean, that guy could write some lyrics. Yeah, yeah. I think wasn't his version of Hallelujah? Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Yeah, that kind of it's thing. Just very, very slow. <laughs> and the funny thing was this concert. I'm not telling people like don't go see Stephen Stills and, and Judy Collins, although I wouldn't waste my money. But like everything was like geriatric speed. All the songs were like just a beat too slow. Anyway, anyway. yeah, no, I I uh, I totally understand. But uh, hey, but, and the, but she still got a killer voice. But I'll tell you, the funny thing was, is I knew I was in Washington D.C. and I knew I'm in a bubble because she did this kind of song about you know dreamers and DACA and illegal uh, immigrants. Yeah. And at the end of the day, literally everybody in the place just got up and started screaming and cheering, except me. I'm just <laughs> my arms folded. But, you know, other than that awkward moment of politics. What do you do? Yeah, what what do you do when that happens where you're just kind of, um, you're the only one sitting? And did anybody look at you or or do what Maxine Waters told them to do and surround you? (laughs) 
Gotcha. I mean, you know, you know that photograph where, everybody, where everybody's doing the, the, the Nazi salute except for, like, the one guy? <laughs> That's how I felt. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, following up on the uh, – I want to – I don't know how much you want to talk about immigration, but let me just – run this by you really quickly before we move on to North Korea, because I have some questions about what's going on there. But uh, this idea that President Trump posited, which was uh, a tent city system for 12,000 illegals. And this is in uh, contrast to the catch and release program, which basically you catch somebody and then you just throw them out into society while they wait for their court date. President Trump's position on this is, well, that is causing a lot of trouble here if we just keep them in one place while they're awaiting any kind of court process, while they're awaiting due process, this would be better. And and I, I have to say that uh, the idea of a tent city, even though it sounds more like a Japanese internment camp, whatever, see, seemingly is far more humane than arresting somebody and then just throwing them out back onto the streets. Look, I mean, I, I, the thing is, and the, we get this all the time, is if you detain somebody, whether you are arresting them and putting them in prison or you are detaining them for a court or whatever, you have an obligation to treat them humanely and you can't deprive them of their human rights, period, right? And nobody – so, I mean, I think that's just an issue about, well, this is inhumane. I just, I just don't think that's relevant, right, because – by law, you have to treat people humanely. I mean, they, there's just if you're not doing that, that that's bad. That's a crime. But you know, if we don't detain people, then not just are you releasing them in, into the country and never get them back? Because you know, and you know, this is the the irony. Where, you know, people say, well, it's expensive to detain people. Well, yeah, it's expensive also to put them through this legal process. And the other day, they just don't show up and get deported. So, uh, and not only do you spend all that money on a court thing, which then is useless because they don't show up anyway, but then you also, there's no incentive or no disincentive, there's no deterrent to human traffickers going up and saying, hey, don't worry about this. You'll come into the country, you'll get detained for a day or two, they'll release you, and then, you know, when your court date comes up, just don't go show up. Okay, give me my $8,000, right? And so, you know, it's essentially not doing some kind of deterrent, not detaining people, is creating this massive advertising for human traffickers who do all kinds of terrible things. They rape, they murder, they pillage. You're putting all this money back into the criminal activity. You're, you actually help destabilize Mexico. Um, we, we have to break the cycle. I, you know, I wrote about that. Here's the irony of this. Sorry to go on. But I wrote about this back, I, I, something like 2006, where I said, look, if you just crack down and actually secured the border and actually enforced immigration laws for a couple of years, you know, people would do adopt different behaviors. But we, we've been avoiding doing that for seven, like 17 years now. You know, if we could have solved this problem 17 years ago, if we just were serious about it for two years. Yeah. And no. now, you, now you have a guy that's finally serious about it. And, you know, all people want to do is demonstrate. And, and, and again, the irony here is, is what they are demonstrating for the kind of behaviors they want to incentivize are the kind of behaviors that actually feed real human rights abusers, people that rape and murder and extort and leave people in the desert and then take all that money and use it for criminal enterprises to destabilize our neighbors. 
Yeah, it's once again just an example of where, you know, I, I guarantee you today on the news, you're going to see images of Japanese internment camps. I, I, I can almost guarantee you, I'm, I'm trying to, I, I think I should d- develop some kind of contest to the first person who spots a visual of a Japanese internment camp when the news covers this Trump administration idea, when the reality is, as you just pointed out, these camps, this suggestion of these camps is a hell of a lot more humane than the current situation that's going on now, as you point out, with the traffickers, and as I point out, with people just being cast off into society with nothing to their name. It just, it, it's, it's, it's not helping. This seems to be a, a better way. So, Well, look, I already think that the, the, the wacky left has lost this one. I mean, if, I think if you look at the polling numbers, uh, people are frustrated and angry at this, and and as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, as more facts come out of this, people feel like they got played. You know, people that honestly got angry because they thought that, you know, this is a – and then when they actually got the facts, they said, you know what? People lied to us. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the, the angry the angry angerers, you know, they're going to go to the street and everything else. But if you look at the polling numbers and you look at, you know, how most Americans feel about this issue, they've actually just teed a lot of people off. Yeah. Angry angerers. I like that. I, I like that terminology. I, I, you have to just make up words on the show. I love. Well, I do. I do it all the time, brother. Hey, okay. So speaking of the truth, I'm reading article after article about how North Korea looks like it's actually building missile plants as opposed to uh, tearing them up. And of course, you have leaked reports from U.S. intelligence officials, which automatically draws a red flag in my mind. I'm not saying that it's fake. I'm just saying that, well, I don't think the president has, so much, had, has had a lot of luck with the intelligence community of late. So I'm looking at this thinking, okay. So now, of course, the story is that uh, it all casts doubt on North Korea's willingness to abandon its nuclear weapons program and basically saying this all makes President Trump look like a fool. What do you think the truth is about what's going on in North Korea right now? Well, you know, I never, you know, try to describe or quantify or things that I I don't know. I I don't know what ground truth does. I I don't know what these photographs really represent. Um, This is, I think, the great strength of the uh, Trump's approach to this, which everybody kind of misses. The underlying strategy of of pressure, which includes missile defense, um, nuclear deterrence, conventional deterrence, and sanctioning. Sanctioning not so much to get them to the table, but sanctioning just to prevent them from keeping building out their arsenal. That strategy protects us regardless of whether Kim chooses to negotiate in good faith or not, because our, our two vital interests are, one, that he can't directly threaten us, and two, that uh, we don't have a war in Northeast Asia. Um, the strategy ensures that, uh, regardless of whether he chooses to denuclearize or not. So if he does choose to do that, then that's great. He does that, and then we take the strategy off. If he doesn't, we keep the strategy in place. And the president said many times the strategy will stay in place until North Korea has uh, got rid of its nuclear weapons. And if they don't, then they'll they'll just choke. So uh, – I look. Nobody. I don't think anybody really thought uh, 
I, I'm still skeptical that they're going to give up their nuclear weapons. And, you know, you know, people pick the Trump they want in their head, right? So yeah. the president says, well, North Korea stops over here. So, oh, my God. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know, the president also said, hey, if this works, great. If it doesn't work, great. You know, so, I mean, he's been clear right about this as well. So I, I, it's kind of typical, you know, everybody just kind of just wants to be wacky kind of stuff. Well, and also the – very, te- very technical term there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, but but really, in the end, the country – North Korea is not going to completely disarm. I mean, I mean let's put it this way. What country would completely disarm itself? Well, you know, if they were smart, um, of course they would. Uh, nobody actually wants to invade North Korea. So you're spending all this money on a bunch of weapons that, that are only good for oppressing your own people. Um, but, but nobody wants to actually invade you, so you're wasting all that money. You have the world's poorest economy. You could be using that money to actually build up your country. But this is the real great challenge. I mean, there's two things here, which is, um, you know, the, the simple answer is, you know, North Korea just doesn't North Korea. It always does. They play rope-a-dope, try to get you to give them something for nothing. If that's the case, then it's easy here. We just go back to maximum pressure and we're done. Right. If North Korea is actually sincere about about getting rid of their nuclear weapons, uh, that's a, a technical, I mean, that's a logistical challenge for us, just doing that, you know, getting it and verifying everything. But what he has to decide then is how is he going to grow that country? Um, because he can't open up to the West and not change things internally. I mean, that was that's the real lesson of Libya. The lesson of Libya was not that Gaddafi gave us nuclear weapons and therefore, you know, people were willing to invade him. Gaddafi got exactly what he asked for. He gave him his nuclear weapons. He got all the access to the West he wanted. And he continued to run his country the same way, which was going to fail eventually anyway. So the, the trick is, is if Kim is sincere about giving up his nuclear weapons, he has a tremendous internal challenge, which is how do I bring this country into the 21st century? And we can't solve that problem for him. We can't, we can't do that. Um, all we can do is not invade him. And, dude, we're, no, we're never going to invade him, so... This is a big problem. I think the challenges are greater for the North Korea than they are for the United States. Yeah, you know what? This this actually also took place. This news came out as yet another monumental event took place on Sunday, even though it was not monumental in, in any kind of outcome, but it was an interesting point, and that is that the U.S.'s North Korean ambassador, Sung Kim, actually met with North Korean counterparts at the DMZ on Sunday, which right. previously and, never had happened. Yeah, and Pompeo canceled a big conference with the Indians to go back to North Korea. So you know, something's going on there. That's why I look. I said, you know, people, uh, you know, I said this before the summit. Take a chill pill. Let's just see what happens. And of course, nothing really, nothing unbelievably amazing happened at the summit. And now I'm like, take a chill pill. I mean, we'll know in a year. If whether this is going to work or not, I mean, we'll know this in months. And you know, people said, "Well, he canceled the exercise." Oh my God! I said, "Well, look, the next exercise wasn't scheduled to next year anyway. Um, if we'll know long before the next exercise rolls around if this guy's going to play ball or not. So let's just see. Let's yeah. just see what the next couple of months brings. I, mean, I there'll be a there'll be a, a very strong period of intense dialogue, and and we'll see where we are. And people are super nervous, but let's just see how that plays out. Um, what's really compounding this is uh, the president's going to the NATO meeting, and then after that he's going a, a short visit to London, and then he's going to meet with Putin in Helsinki, and uh, 
you know, typical of this administration, a lot of very ambiguous statements and for whatever purpose. And so now people are freaking out about that. But again, on the same way, it's like, call me on July 16th and then we'll talk. Right. Um, so let's just see what the president actually does. Got it. I mean, a lot of times, you know, they're, 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 you know he's a very unconventional statesman. I get that. Not that he, try, he, he tries to do things a different way just to get the ball rolling, but um, sometimes he's being unconventional. Sometimes they're just floating a balloon out there to see what people think. Yeah. Sometimes people just misinterpret it. Sometimes people intentionally leak things which aren't true. Mm-hmm. And all those things are going on simultaneously. And in almost everything the president says and does, you have to have the context to understand that. And if you don't have the context, sometimes you just have to wait and see what he actually does. Right. Um, but people have no patience, right? And everybody wants instant analysis, and everybody wants to freak out all the time. And it is, it is a bit exhausting. I admit that. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is. But it, the, the, it, it's, it's the people who can't stand him just take the ball and run with it anyway. And oh, yeah. I think this is another example. Yeah, I mean, that, we saw that. The, you know, we had that shooting um, – at that newspaper, yeah, and you know, we we had 15 minutes of it's all Trump's fault, right? Yeah, oh yeah. And then of course, it obviously wasn't, and then that vaporized, and they moved on to something else. I mean, how many of these kind of crisis of the day things do we have? Like, oh my God, it's the end of the world, right? And then you know, whether it's Stormy Daniels or whatever, and it's this is going to bring out the Trump presidency. This is the worst thing ever. Ninety-nine percent of the time, it's not true, and then and then people just ignore it, and then they move on to the next crazy thing. Well, even even after it was established, the motive for the shooting, right. it was still it's still Trump's fault, which is amazing to me. Jim Acosta did something the other day. We'll yeah. we'll play that for you in a little bit, but uh, real quickly, how do you be, how do you get the gift of becoming the ambassador to North Korea? Like, how do you get that gift? Well, yeah. Well, the, 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 the number one thing is you don't actually have to uh, – so it's not an ambassador to North Korea. So he's not okay. actually in North Korea. Right. Right. It's so not like the ambassador – The good news is you don't have to live there. So that's, that's probably <laughs> okay. virtue in and of itself. But, dude, just think of the frequent flyer miles. <laughs> Come on. I know. I know. It's, it's, uh, it's Usually I thought getting an ambassadorship like to, to Luxembourg was like the, the cherished item. But uh, you get North yeah. Korea. But, yeah, you don't, you're right. You don't have to live there, which is good. This is good. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, listen um, – Thank you, you so much for your – yeah, thank you, and happy Independence Day to you too, my friend. And All right. Best of luck with the show. It sounds pretty awesome. Thank you, brother. And we're going to – we're going to – we're walking you out with a little Brandy Carlisle singing Hallelujah since you brought up Leonard Cohen. All right. So. Do it. All right, buddy. Well, I've heard that Take care, bud. A secret All right, my friend. The day that played and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this A fourth, a fifth, a minor fall And the major lives And the barefoot king composing Hallelujah 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 Well, your faith was strong, but you needed proof You saw a bathing on the roof Her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you She tied you to her kitchen chair She broke you the road, she cut your hair And from your lips 
Facebook for. You know what I mean? Great song. One of my faves. Yes, indeed. I'm a Jeff Buckley that girl, though. Yeah. Uh, you know, pick, pick your hallelujah. You know, everybody right. has their favorite. But uh, that Brandy Carlisle is the best. beautiful. Hey, uh, did, did, are we back up on Facebook now, Matt, or not? Almost. Almost. We're going to get back up on Facebook for those of you listening. The stream, didn't, the stream just stays there, so... Uh, that's great. That's that's how we're rolling with that. Uh, but we'll we'll be back up on Facebook. I figured I didn't know whether or not they were going to flag me on a Brandy Carlisle, but you know, it's it's Who algorithmic, knew? right? Algorithmic. That's what that's what that's all about. Yeah. yeah well. Okay. Well, so we're back on Facebook, everybody. Good morning this morning from the Discovery Design Studio. Do you see our little thing back down there? Do you see the Discovery Design uh, thing? Looks good, doesn't it? Great. Can you guys see that okay? Yeah. Discovery Design. Material Handling Systems, Inc. Innovations 
that work. 636-922-9333. DiscoveryDesignInc.com. Yep. Beautiful. The Pogue family. Rick and Jerry and the rest of the gang out there. Thank you for your support of Radio Free Almond. All right, we're back, and I talked to uh, Jimmy Carafano just a little bit uh, about this. This is uh, Jim Acosta. Now, uh, Acosta, this is this is this is President Trump's gave a gave a speech, and it was a really a great event on Friday, where the president talked about the economy, talked about all the developments in the U.S. economy. And it was essentially just a a great event where he was able to be there in the room with the yellow curtain, that one, and talked about the strides that are being made uh, with the economy and in trade and beyond. This was, of course, the few days after the shooting at that Annapolis newspaper mm-hmm. where Trump was blamed uh, for it because of his discussions about the media and about talking about the, the enemy media, which he's absolutely right about the media. For the most part, it is uh, definitely uh, an enemy and and not not worthy of a shooting, obviously. Uh, but but let's not pretend that the media has the interests of Americans at heart. They hate President Trump. Most of them do. And nothing President Trump does is going to be acceptable to them because they didn't vote for him. That's pretty much what you're getting at CNN, ABC, CBS, NBC, and beyond, newspaper after newspaper after newspaper. Now, that then prompted Jim Acosta, who you you know the president. You can see where he's standing way, way in the back. And you know that Acosta knows that the president can't hear him can't hear but it's Acosta standing in front of a camera yelling a question to the president and of course just as a stunt it it clearly is and I'll play it for you here this is how it all went down and filled our hearts with grief journalists like all Americans should be free from the fear and at the tail end of course he the president did address the thing, uh, and that's why Jim Acosta decided he was going to piggyback on the comments about the paper. Being violently attacked while doing their job. But as the president left the room, he would not specify whether this is only a pause in his battle against the press. Mr. President, will you stop calling us the enemy of the people, sir? Will you stop calling the press the enemy of the people, sir? Mr. President, will you stop calling the press the enemy of the people, sir? And, you, of course, you know that this is – Acosta knows he, the clapping and he's far away. He can't hear him, but it's Acosta basically with his back in front of his own camera mm-hmm. yelling this thing, knowing, of course, that the president can't hear him. Mm-hmm. And for the sole purpose of trying to insinuate somehow that even in the aftermath of this shooting where it was proven that – that he did not uh, was not responsible for this. That it was actually the guy who shot him was was had a grudge against the paper. Was right. some kind of psycho. Uh, even though, in my opinion, the paper did do a defamatory piece about him, and I thought he was right to be angry about it. That, of course, doesn't merit killing somebody over the thing. But eventually, when you are involved in the kind of hackery that 
many people in the media are, whether it be in a small newspaper or a big one, you're going to run across the wrong person and you're going to, you're going to hack away at the wrong person and it's going to cost you. And in this case it did. And it's a sad state of affairs. It's, it's a terrible thing to do. It's not justified to attack somebody physically for something you don't like. Uh, but nonetheless, you, you start playing with fire and you, and, and you decide you're going to treat people like they're just uh, pawns in your theatrical game and your journalistic hackery. You're going to eventually actually mess with the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And they did. And, and that's what happened. And again, not justifying it. I'm just saying that if you look at the story, because a lot, lot of many people are paying attention to the story written about this killer right. in the first place. And it was a mocking, derisive, unnecessary expose of some weird dude who was accused of stalking a former classmate on Facebook. It wasn't news. It had zero relevancy to anybody in the community. But it was just a gratuitous, salacious piece that – under the headline, Jared wants to be your friend, that the newspaper decided was going to be worthy of printing – and of course, they wound up in this situation because of it. So that's how what it works. What was the timeline on that? When was that piece? When was that headline put out in relationship to? The oh, it shooting? was. It was a couple of years, years ago. ago. It was, oh yeah, okay. it was an old story, right? But he sued them for defamation and lost. Right. Uh, but but nonetheless, if you look at the story itself, and I read the story, it really is. There's no real news value to it at right. all. I mean, it just is, and and I'm I'm thinking that because this Jared, whatever his name is, dude was just kind of like a run of the mill psycho weirdo. They figured, well, he's you know, do a story on right. him and and then move on to the next day. Yeah, doesn't this happen every day? I mean, aren't there lots of people stalking people on Facebook? Well, you also, but but you know what? You, you, this happens every day in in the news media. Right? They they'll, they they will just simply uh, chew somebody up and spit them out every day. Right? They'll 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 do a story that that is you know I've seen stories in the paper and on on TV before that were uh, so Desperate. defamatory and biased, but the people aren't able to fight back you're just kind of you ha- you you take your lumps and move on mm-hmm. it, it's it's but anyway so what happened to jim acosta well he was again made a hero by brian stelter or whatever his name is and although i think he did ask a legit question about whether or not this was just a stunt and acosta of course lied his way out of it but here's how that whole thing worked out is he a reporter willing to shout out tough questions or someone grandstanding to boost his own profile. Now, keep in mind, most people at CNN, within CNN, if a producer who was interviewed is to be believed, would choose B. They're embarrassed right. by Jim Acosta. And not, not only are they embarrassed, some of them are downright bitter because Acosta is considered to be one of the least talented people At CNN, and yet he's getting all the attention Mm -hmm. and sucking all the air out of CNN Mm -hmm. and and being profiled and and appearing. I think – what was he on? Was he on uh, Jimmy Kimmel's show or Uh something? He was – he's on like the the late night shows. I mean it's driving the people at CNN Uh crazy. CNN's chief White House correspondent Jim Acosta 
has become the face of the Trump administration's combative relationship with the press. Now, first of all, in any news organization, that actually should be a death knell. When, when, if you're a reporter and you become the face of a conflict with the White House, you've suddenly become part of the story. You've become the story right. as opposed to covering it. Now, I've always been told that you should never become the story as a journalist. Right. So this is, this is not good news. No. But apparently in this environment now, it is. Don't be rude. Don't be rude. No, I'm not going to give you a question. I'm not going to give you a question. You are fake news. That's not what I said, and I, I know it's hard for you to understand, um, even short sentences, I guess. Trump, as you know, has escalated his anti-press rhetoric. Uh, first it was fake news, then it was enemy of the people. Now he's saying some... Keep in mind, this whole this story, reliable sources, they didn't use the clip I just played you, though. The clip of him shouting at the president during that... that uh, after that news uh -huh. conference, uh, after that speech, because uh, that is a very damning piece of video uh -huh. and audio that th that's that's more than just like this little back and forth at news conferences right. they didn't play in this feature about Acosta. They didn't play that soundbite of him mm -hmm. shouting gratuitously at the president, knowing no one could the right. president couldn't hear of our behavior is almost treasonous. So what is it like? to be Jim Acosta. What is it like to come face to face with angry Trump supporters at rallies? Let's ask him. Yeah. By and large, what I find is that people are developing their impressions of us by watching Hannity and so on. And I said, hey, you know, give us a chance, watch us and then make up your mind. Right. The pro-Trump media calls you fake news. They say you're a drama queen. Uh, I wrote down some of these slurs. Some <laughs> of them I can't read because they're curse words. Why don't you read some of the internal memos there, Brian? Uh, read those to Jim Acosta. Yeah. Point is, though, when you're in the back of the room, like you were on Friday, and you shout a question to Trump, and he probably can't even... Again, he's say, talking about the video, but they're not playing the video for mm -hmm. you because it's, it's damning, mm -hmm. but they're not going to show it, so they're just going to talk about it instead of showing it. it. Isn't it true that you're kind of doing that just to get attention? That, no, that's a good question. I'm glad he <laughs> asked the question, <laughs> yeah. but he's doing even that just as you know his... Mm -hmm. I got to ask a tough question. And Acosta, if you look at the video, and the reason why I think they're not showing the video in this particular piece here is because what Acosta is just about to say is a lie about the circumstances right. surrounding him shouting that uh -huh. at the president. Well, Isn't that uh, part of what you're doing? On Friday when I was shouting that question, I thought, first of all, he keeps calling us the enemy of the people. Uh, you know, somebody ought to ask him after what happened in Annapolis. Are you going to continue to call us the enemy of the people? And so, once again, even though we know the facts surrounding what happened in Annapolis, and that had nothing to do with President Trump, Jim Acosta on a Sunday continues to make the link and the and 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 the and the linkage there when there's no fact to support right. it at all. He's still doing it. So they had an event. They put him on all the, the other way, uh, the other side of the room. But there was a moment towards the end of that event when he was walking towards us. And I thought, well, here's a chance to perhaps shout a question to him. And we have seen on occasion when we shout questions, he does answer the question. That's a complete lie. Mm -hmm. Look at the audio. Look at the video and, and see what he's doing here. And, and you can tell if you just look at it, you can tell. He the president, will you stop? 
stop calling us the enemy of the people. Sir. Everybody's clapping. Acosta's in the back. The, press the, enemy of the, people, the president's not walking away and not walking anywhere near him. I mean, and the president, would, even if the president stopped to talk to him, he couldn't because there was a sea of individuals between Acosta and the president. So <laughs> what he just told you right there was a lie. Right. And, and, that, and that's why CNN reliable sources didn't play the audio and the video because it proves that Acosta is telling a bald faced lie right. to one of his colleagues about the circumstances surrounding all mm-hmm. that. That's crazy. It is crazy. But that's what's going on. I'm going to call uh, Jim. Uh, Jim, <laughs> here, hang on a second. Jim Talent. Uh, he's going to be. Uh, I told him 7:30, but I'm running a little bit behind here. Let's talk to Jimmy. Hello, Jim Talent. How are you, Senator? What's going on, buddy? Well, I'm looking forward to our interview. Well, I, uh, we're talking right now, buddy. I'm ca- coffee here, getting ready to good do radio free almond. Well, you are on it right. And I'm rushing us into it. If you want to talk about the LeBron deal or something, we can do that. No, I'm. I'm I don't uh, know whether you start recording as soon as you call or not. So yeah, no, we're, we're doing the interview. Okay. You're on, okay? Uh, you're on the phone with me. I've got a microphone up to the phone because our Skype thing, I don't have the Skype deal uh, in operation. So I put you on, on my phone line. So I'm calling you directly on the phone, but you're on the air. You're on Radio Free Almond right now, brother. Okay, that's great. So tell me yeah. about the, the machination surrounding how we are going to be dealing with this Supreme Court opening. And will you tell me, will you confirm for me, by the way, the situation regarding uh, Ginsburg, and there were some questions as to why she didn't resign or retire earlier, like, for instance, when Obama was still president, so that the Democrats could have chosen somebody to replace her before the possibility of a Republican getting elected. And I, I was assuming that they were – she was just simply saving herself – for Hillary Clinton, I think they they so assumed Hillary was going to be president that they said, "Well, you can just retire when when Hillary's president, and she'll get her little gift of a Supreme Court nominee." Well, of course, to get an authoritative answer to that question, we need to line up Ruth Bader Ginsburg for Radio Free Allman and and let her give us. If you motivation. can, if you can do that, I'd love it. I, I think it's safe to assume that the issue was raised with her by somebody uh, because everybody was talking about it or that she simply you know, was aware of it because I think they all asked themselves the question, you know, at what point, you know, do I go? Uh, and, um, uh, you know, Breyer is turning 80 also. He's probably asking himself that question. And I think uh, I, we could talk about human nature here. I, 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 there's, as you, as you age, uh, your priorities begin to change. I saw that uh, with my dad, and but it's at different times with different people. Some people are very vigorous in their vocation, you know, into their 80s. Now, I think your your inference is quite logical that uh, I think she was and is close to um, Hillary, Hillary Clinton and probably thought, you know, it would really be neat um, for, for me to be a, pre- a President Clinton's first now, uh, you know, first vacancy to fill. And it's quite logical that that's why she waited. And because everybody in Washington did believe, uh, and this is pretty much on both sides of the aisle, and to be fair, most people in the country believe 
that uh, Clinton was going to win. So I, yeah. I think it's a logical inference. All right, so what's going to happen here? Because we did have a situation where we had another one of these uh, never-Trump people, uh, Jennifer Rubin, basically saying that uh, at some point... Let me make a suggestion. Yeah. Instead of Listen circling the Capitol with a million people, take the million people to Maine and go to L.L. Bean and tell them in Maine, you need to leave Maine unless... Susan Collins votes the right way. I mean, that, that that's, of course, Jennifer Rubin, who is the uh, apparently the House conservative there over yeah. at the Washington Post. But but nonetheless, this this Susan Collins thing is, is an interesting issue because the Republicans, if they just lose one vote here, are in trouble. But that's that's not considering the possibility that actually they might gain a couple Democrat votes thanks oh, sure. to the 2018 I election. I think they probably will. I'm sorry, Jamie. I, I yeah. brought it in. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll say the same thing I've said about other Supreme Court nominee situations, which in my opinion is, is that the um, the hearing is extremely important. Um, and in fact, I think presidents should pick people with an eye towards how they're going to do in the hearing. Are they going to look and sound like a thoughtful and reasonable and uh, highly qualified jurist. And I think if they do, then they get confirmed. And yes, uh, there's a there's a struggle which has grown bigger and bigger of late. Uh, but uh, I think they get confirmed. And so I think this nominee gets confirmed with 54, 55 votes if he or she does well in the hearing and might not get confirmed at all if he or she doesn't. So I think that's uh, that's going to tell the tale, um, and uh, because there there are three or four Democrats who I think will almost politically have to vote for the nominee if uh, unless there's some obvious damage done and objective damage done. In other words, something revealed where the average person goes, "Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of disqualifying." Yeah, Does and that make any sense to you? Absolutely. I mean, and and the whole thing, of course, uh, is your. Um, my assumption is that the president will nominate somebody, and I think he's insinuated as much, uh, before the 2018 election. Now, is that pretty much a done deal, right? Yeah, I think okay. he's announced, or the White House has announced, they're going to announce the nominee on the 9th of July. Okay. I think the idea is to uh, they're going to announce somebody who's <clears throat> already on the bench, and so their papers, you know, the volume of paper you have to fill out for the Senate uh, is already done or largely done it's just gonna have to be updated and then they'll be vetted by the committee staff and i think uh, i think that uh grassley will do that quickly and they'll have a hearing uh and then they'll vote probably in early september that's that's what i think is going to happen yeah well and i think that's a good thing i think i think it, it's it's worthy of us making sure that we are uh bouncing this and, and, and creating a hot seat uh, for those who are running in 2018. I well, think it's a good a thing. time frame. Yeah. You know, 10, 10 weeks or so, uh, you know, 8 to 12 weeks is a normal time frame. And you also want to get the person seated before the new term starts, which is in October. So the Supreme Court has nine justices. You know, Jamie, let's, let's take this up a little bit, uh, you know, to 10,000 feet anyway. And there's an irony here because – uh, a lot of people, um, and I'm one of them, although this is not my prime issue, uh, have been warning the left for a long time uh, that uh, their preference for the Supreme Court as a kind of super legislature may come back 
bite them sometime. In other words, uh, it, it, we shouldn't be in this kind of angst over a judge, even a Supreme Court judge. Um, they're obviously very important. Uh, they obviously have a lot of discretion. But if the courts view their jobs as interpreting the law and the Constitution rather than writing it, then our concern ought to be over uh, the legislature primarily, not over the courts. But, you know, since if the court is a super legislature, then, yeah, this is like an election. Right. And so we all focus on it. So the answer here is for the Supreme Court to do its job and, um, you know, and actually issue decisions based on the law. And that's, I think, what they're going to do. That's, I think that's what they've been doing, um, you know, when you know, what I mean is it's what people like uh, Roberts and Alito and and Thomas and the others have done. Uh, and so if you don't like it, you change the law. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I think it's it's a useful issue for the Democrats at least because they'll always want to create a situation where somebody's God-given human rights are in peril or whatever they want to whatever they want to call this abortion thing. But the fact of the matter is, it's not a foregone conclusion that with a five-four domination of conservatives and maybe even ultimately a six-three domination of conservatives that Roe versus Wade will be overturned or is it a foregone conclusion that Roe versus Wade will be overturned? No, I don't, I don't think it is, um, you know, for a lot of reasons. I think there is respect for um, its own precedent on the Supreme Court. I think there's a sense that even for people who feel like um, Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided, they may disagree over the extent to which it was wrongly decided. Um, what you'll see is what we've continued to see, which is states testing the outer limits of Roe versus Wade by passing various restrictions, most of which, Jamie, by the way, would simply bring our you know abortion jurisprudence and laws into line with the rest of the first world democracies. We have very liberal abortion oh, laws yeah. because of the way Roe versus Wade, as you know, uh, probably as well or better than I. So I think that's what you're going to see there. Um you know, I do think that uh, that it's possible you could get a court that begins to look at things like um, should it begin to constrain the Congress in setting up new agencies and not telling them what to do. In other words, the legislative power is vested in the Congress. Now, the Congress creates administrative agencies to carry out its will, and that's constitutional. But to create an agency like the Consumer Finance Protection board or whatever that, that's called and just say go out and regulate the financial system or regulate the american economy that is giving away your power to legislate and i i could see a, a a court looking at that and saying no you have to be more specific in how you delegate this kind of authority and by the way that's an old principle that you know that was developed and, and that the court began abandoning 80 or 90 years ago so i i do think people need to chill a little bit here um but again, the, you know, the problem is that, that people on the left see it as a super legislature, so they like see it as losing control of a super Congress. And the answer is it shouldn't be a super legislature. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really the answer. I mean, even if, if Roe versus Wade had never been decided the way it was decided, it doesn't mean that the issue of, of whether we should outlaw some or most abortions would not have been in play. It just means it would have been decided by the state legislatures, which is which is where most domestic relations law is decided, Jamie. 
And I worked on those kinds of things for eight years when I was in the legislature. And you'd see different states doing it different ways. Um, that's kind of what the whole federal system's about, right? Well, I mean, and the reality is, as you pointed out or, or alluded to earlier, only we we are our abortion laws and, and, and the allowance of the killing of the unborn uh, only are in line with China, North Korea, and Canada. There are only four so-called developed nations that actually allow abortions at the level that we do here. And so I guess at some point, perhaps, there will be this kind of odd societal contract where, okay, uh, Roe versus Wade stays in place, but Wyoming's going to put this restriction over there, and Missouri's going to put that restriction over there, and unless you want to make a big deal of it, you better let them do it, right? Yeah, and again, you and I are just speculating. I mean, yeah. we really don't have any idea. There's a lot of things that go into play here. Uh, but people should have confidence, in my opinion, uh, that uh, if if the Constitution is respected, in other words, there's there's been a, a jurisprudence developing over the last generation or so, coming mostly, by the way, out of libertarian law professors, uh, uh, called originalism, which means we interpret the Constitution in in light of the text and the spirit in which it was adopted at the time it was adopted, and I think that is going to permit. I mean, that's a lot more just um, uh, kind of jurisprudence then I think people may be worried we're going to get. I just I just don't think that it's going to cause, you know, huge problems. I, I think it's right. And what that means is where the Constitution d- does speak, the courts enforce it. So, for example, this public employee union decision, the court has a long line of jurisprudence saying, and they're correct, that the, that the, the, the right to the freedom of speech means the government cannot compel you to uh, to speak a message you don't want to speak. The government can't pass a law saying Radio Free Allman is free to uh, support Donald Trump, but you have to take five minutes every hour and uh, and and give messages attacking him. No, you don't. In fact, con- compelled speech is one of the worst kinds of violations of the of the free speech clause. Same thing with the Second Amendment. I do think that uh, a new court with a new appointee is more likely to be. Uh, more vigorous in, in 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 implementing the Heller decision of a few years ago, because as that decision exhaustively um, researched and discussed, uh, people have an individual right under the Second Amendment to keep and bear arms, and it should be protected. People who don't like it need to try and take it out of the Constitution, and there's a means to do that as well. So, yeah, I just um, I, I agree with what you're saying, and I think we're going to see this process unfold in the next six or eight weeks, and I just hope the president nominates somebody who comes across as uh, reasonable, thoughtful, and maybe a little humorous now and then in this in this hearing. We love freedom, buddy, which is why we support LeBron James. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, by the way, I, you know, I'm, I'm not either a LeBron James lover or hater. He's just, he's the best player of his generation. Um, and I like what he's doing, moving to the West. Uh, it shows that at this late stage of his career, he's up for fresh competition because he's going to get it in that conference. Yeah. I mean, it, is, <laughs> he's not going to be a dead cert to get to the finals every year, not in that conference, which is good. Yeah. It shows he's not just looking for an easy, uh, you know, an easy berth in the last few years of his career. Poor Cleveland, though. 
poor Cleveland gets screwed twice by him. But but you know what? That's too bad. They Cleveland when they remember when they griped when he went over to Miami. And and it was like Cleveland acted like they owned him. And I was like, you don't own LeBron James and he can go anywhere he wants to go. And yet I do have to I do feel a little sorry for Cleveland because this is twice Twice. where he's kind of left them at the altar, which is uh, which is, you know, oh, well, that's how it goes. Fortunate for for Cleveland fans. But the big problem with what he did before, and I'm kind of an NBA fan, as you can tell. Is is not what he did, but the way he announced it. Yeah, and, you know, he was young in those days, mm-hmm. and I think what he should have done is first had a period of time where he expressed his gratitude to the people of Cleveland and his, you know, disappointment or sadness that he would be leaving, and then have the big press conference in Miami. And he didn't do that, but he was young, you know, and and these guys are the center of publicity, and it's hard. I mean, yeah. So uh, I don't have any problem with this. And as I said, uh, I like the fact that, that he's going to a, a more competitive conference. I do think the NBA at some point is going to have to really ask itself whether this kind of maneuvering to create super teams is good for the long-term interests of the league. And maybe it is. I just think they need to have that conversation. And yeah. they will at some point, I think. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I, you know, I, I get we we saw Pujols go to the West Coast, and now LeBron's going to the West Coast. And there must be something there that they like, you know. I think his family. I mean, from what I understand, that's where his family wanted to go, and um, and I think that's one of the reasons. And I, it's pretty clear to me he's looking for a new challenge. And again, I respect the guy at the end of his career wanting to do that. I'm not saying his career is going to be over next year. But I mean, even he can't go on forever, right? Was he thirty-three or thirty-four? So yeah, right. You know, he's got a few more years left. He's going to try and build a winner in in L.A. It's going to be interesting to see who goes with him. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, well, it's nice to talk about something besides politics and public affairs, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> well, the only the only thing you know, like Pujols, when he went to uh, Los Angeles, when he went out to California. You know, he was going out there because you know you can you can age well in, a, in the American League because you 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 they have the designated hitters. So uh, you, that's that, but they don't have that in basketball. So if LeBron doesn't perform in LA, they're going to be all over. Is it? But but yeah, that's true. He'll still but get he paid that kind of pressure, and he's obviously very confident that he can still perform at a high level. I oh, don't yeah. think he'd be doing this now. You know, at some point it happens to us all, and sometimes you don't know when it's happening. You, you know, you lose that step, and you can't make up for it anymore with with your, your your greater knowledge and experience of the game. And sometimes it can happen quickly. Uh, it might happen to LeBron James, but it sure hasn't happened yet. Right on. I mean, gosh, I mean, he played every game last year. I know, I know. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty, and, and had a great playoffs, and it's not his fault that they didn't, that they didn't win it. So I'm eager to see you know, who maybe goes with him in the near term and, and what they do in L.A. All right, Jimmy. Hey, listen, good talking to you, and uh, have a happy Independence Day, my friend. Yeah, let's talk again when we hear who the nominee is. All right, yeah, definitely. So we'll know by next week when we talk to you. Is that correct? So Yeah, well, that's okay. what the White House has said. So unless there's some issue or they need a little more time, I expect to hear by then. All right, well, have a great holiday, my friend. Same to you. Good talking to you. That's Jim okay. Talent, everybody. Yeah. Up. We've got uh, Austin Peterson, who is now in the green room, and we're going to chat with him in a couple minutes, everybody. Good morning this morning, Radio Free Almond.
in the Discovery Design Studio. Thanks a ton, guys. here in the Discovery Design Studio, the Radio Free Almond Show, and we appreciate you being here, Gia Valeni, alongside, and I wanted to get through this uh, song before they pull us off Facebook. I'm, I'm kind of playing a game of whack-a-mole yeah, on Facebook, whack-a-mole. and uh, so I don't think they've realized that I'm playing Boston yet, but... You just got to get like a live band in here. Like, <laughs> that would be crazy. Yeah. That's Austin Peterson right there, everybody, in studio. How you doing, man? Doing great. Doing great. Almost one year anniversary for my campaign. We started on the 4th of July last year, kicked off our campaign. So we're looking coming up on our one-year anniversary, feeling strong. And, um, you know, we're the strongest candidate against Claire McCaskill uh, in the poll. The last poll that came out showed me beating her by 16 points. Yeah. And the most recent head-to-head, Josh Hawley versus Claire, he's losing by six. I'm the only candidate who's demonstrated that they can crush Claire McCaskill if the election were between me and her. So, I mean, the question is, uh, do you want a candidate who can beat her? Is it, are you an ABC voter, Jamie? Are you anybody but Claire? Because if you are, like most Missourians who want to get rid of her, I'm the candidate for you. Well, we look at what's going on right now, even with the Supreme Court and uh, what, what's, what's happening there and how important it is to have good conservative representation in the U.S. Senate. Uh, we're going to see how that goes this time around with the next Supreme Court vote. Uh, you've got these people still hanging around there, like Susan Collins and some of these other more liberal individuals. And here we are once again. Uh, our fate is in the hands of some liberal from Maine who could possibly just derail a conservative Supreme Court. And so it's all the more important to stuff it, uh, even though obviously we might be saved, ironically, by some conservative Democrats who want to get reelected. But nonetheless, uh, that it just proves to you what's at stake right now. If, if anybody ever says Austin Peterson is a rhino, then I'm just going to point at Susan Collins and say no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because if I'm going to pick a Supreme Court justice – 
their position on life is going to be one of the most important reasons why I would vote to to confirm them. If Senator Susan Collins says that if she if her her Supreme Court pick has to be against life, that she has to support Roe versus Wade, that's not a conservative position. And and so why is the party being held hostage by those who don't espouse our most basic intrinsic beliefs? You know, without life there is no liberty. You know, and I'm looking for conservative Supreme Court justices who will support life, which is why I'll be voting for Judge Napolitano. Now, <laughs> you know, it's funny because Jim Talent had said that it's going to be somebody from this list and somebody yeah. possibly already on the bench. But I have to tell you, Napolitano would be an interesting pick. I don't think it's going to happen. too old, they say, but here's the thing. Just too ten, old. Just 10 years of good, good old-fashioned libertarian conservative republicanism on the bench. And uh, the judge could turn back. He could overturn the New Deal, the Great Society. <laughs> okay, well then, speaking of that, because uh, we want to get to a couple issues now with with immigration mm-hmm. and 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 the and the libertarian conservatives, as you po- point out, mm-hmm. uh, libertarians. What, like for instance, there are people who might say, "Oh man, if you're a libertarian, then clearly you support." The pro-choice position. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> okay, no, no. I, I mean, I think libertarians tend to be divided on that. Perhaps a slight majority of people are, are pro-choice on that, but I think it lies on a misunderstanding of the purpose and the role of government. Uh, you know, if you're not an anarchist and you believe in some limited form of government, then you have to ask the question: What is the role of government? Well, in my opinion, the role of government is to protect life liberty and property, life being a key portion of that. Uh, is the unborn a human? Yes. Uh, Do all humans deserve the same right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Yes. Uh, And also what I think is the most disturbing about this is we've divorced ourselves from the concept of personal responsibility in this country. We have birth control over the counter. There's there's plenty of info, uh, not over the counter, but we have birth control options over the counter, things like prophylactics. You know, there's the morning after pill and all of these things. So if we placed a heavier emphasis on personal responsibility, I think that would reduce the number of abortions. If we offered birth control over the counter, that would reduce the number of abortions. And if we started impressing personal responsibility on young people instead of the sub Substances, substanceless lifestyles, which encourage this kind of behavior, which leads to the lack of responsibility. It results in the deaths of, of actual humans. So um, I'm looking for a conservative Supreme Court justice who will protect life. And you know what? Frankly, from the list that we have, Jamie, I know that there are downsides to this. I would put Senator Mike Lee on the Supreme Court. That, that He would be my vote. And, and I know that we would lose that vote in the Senate, but I mean, that's short term. We'll get another conservative uh, uh, senator from Utah, but how many chances are going to have to have that kind of a strict conservative on the Supreme Court for the rest of our life, I'd feel so much more confident in the future of the United States if someone like Mike Lee were on the Supreme Court because he's there for, for as long as he can be. So that's who my pick would be ultimately from this short list. And I'm looking for, and I know that he would protect life. So you would, you would want Roe versus Wade overturned? I would, yeah. I think the state should have that that authority. I don't think the federal government should be placing that kind of a, re- of a restriction across all 50 states. Uh, the states need to be able to decide. Uh, and so I would. I would. I think we should get over- overturned Roe versus Wade. Yeah, well, for, it, it's, you know, I, I think it's, it's horrible law, and it's already been established mm-hmm. that there was absolutely no basis for the law in the Constitution. Even uh, Blackman, who wrote the opinion, 
agreed that it was really kind of like based on just they're just pulling viability and all kinds of stuff out of their rear ends. They had no idea. There, there was no science involved. Yeah. There was no, no real constitutional law involved in that decision. Now, there's also a chance, I guess, because I, I do like the idea that the states have more control than the federal government over this. Mm-hmm. And there's a possibility that Roe versus Wade, as I talked to just Jim about it, that could stay there, but then the states would continue to, to restrict abortion and dare somebody to challenge them, essentially, because then at that point, you know, if you're if you're a person who wants Roe versus Wade to stay the way it is, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you happen to be pro-choice, you're not going to play with fire mm-hmm. and go against a state that's further restricting it, mm-hmm. because if you do, uh, at that point, then it does go to the Supreme Court, and any person who is uh, with any love of the Constitution will have to yeah. overturn it. Well, I love a massive challenge. Like I'm, I'm willing to take on certain certain ma- mountainous challenges, like overturning Roe versus Wade. But it is a big challenge, uh, and there are some smaller challenges, some some lesser things that we can do that are probably less controversial that would r- statistically reduce the number of abortions. Like I just said, if you if you allowed birth control to be sold over the counter, that availability itself has statistically shown in countries where it's legal that it reduces the number of abortions. I think that's actually something we could get a national consensus on. Uh, there would be some who would push back and say, no, we don't, we don't want this to be as available as, as you would. But frankly, if you're pro-life, then I think you need to take this position because that's ultimately what we want. So there are, there are some stair steps that we can get along the path. But, but, if, uh, but you know, Roe versus Wade, is it likely that it's going to be overturned? Probably not because even you know, many conservatives support this decision. I personally do not. I'm looking for justices who want to overturn it. Uh, and, and I guess the question is, is like how you treat the least of your society, I think, shows the overall moral character of a society. And I think in the future, maybe 100 years from now, we're going to look back on a million abortions a year and say this was wrong, just like slavery and Jim Crow and, and other stains on American history. I think that abortion is uh, is abhorrent and we need to appoint Supreme Court justices who want to overturn this. But if we don't, then let's look for other options as well to reduce the number. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and a lot of us continue to support those who support options uh, for women who are pregnant because a lot of times people have abortions not because – uh, not for the fun of it, yeah. but because they just don't simply have uh, viable options, yeah, alternatives. And, and one last little quick story. My little sister, Jody Brooks, she was adopted when I was 10 years old. Um, my aunt came in contact with the mother, and she wanted to have an abortion. Uh, and my aunt talked her out of it, introduced her to my parents, uh, and we adopted her. It, it was a difficult process, an arduous process, very expensive. If we deregulated the adoption market in this country it would make it easier for mothers to choose life. We need to look at every option we can to make it easier for mothers to choose life. Well, that's why I sometimes think, because there's all kinds of conundrums regarding uh, people who say they're conservative, and then they, then, but, but then there are other people who like don't want gays to adopt kids. I'm thinking, uh, <laughs> I don't get that. Like, like if you, if you, if you want right. to you, promote life, no. And you want people to have their babies, but then you want to restrict people who can adopt babies. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense to me. I, yeah. I, I know some great parents who are gay and raising children, and you might have a moral issue or whatever it is with, with a lifestyle or whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't understand how you could be opposed to gays 
yeah. adopting children. Well, I mean, you're talking to the libertarian Republicans. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's... I'm I'm going to be okay with that, right? I think that you know, if we want to have more more lives saved and and more they want to adopt, then they should do so. As long as they're as fit as any straight couple, you know, uh, we want to be able to get these people out of these orphanages, out of these, you know, uh, what's what's it when a parent like somebody foster home. foster care, foster yeah, care I mean, and things like that. I've, I've when we adopted my little sister, she was in foster care for a little tiny part of the time. I remember walking in the house, there was like 15 kids running around, and it's like, yeah, that's just over capacity. Like, no that, doubt, you know, that's a problem, and we need to solve it. I think with making the adoption easier. All right, just out of curiosity, then too, and then we'll get to the immigration issue. But uh, like for instance, I'm opposed to the death penalty, mm-hmm. and I, and I and I tell people that I'm opposed to the death penalty because I'm pro life. Yeah. But 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 there are a lot of people out there who uh, might be even opposed to abortion, but then are okay with the death penalty. And, I, and I've always yeah. felt like that was weird because to me, I w- I'm never comfortable with giving a state mm-hmm. and that, and this in this case a government the power to off its own citizens. Yeah. That's just weird to me. Right. The government shouldn't have the power to do something that a private citizen could do. If 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 someone committed a crime against me and I happen to get them locked in my basement. I can't execute them, right? I can't do that. Why, why is it not okay? Why is it okay if all of a sudden, you know, 10 jurors have decided it's okay? Um, I think that the, we should be pro-life consistently. Uh, and there's a Catholic teaching that the judge introduced me to. It's called the consistent pro-life ethic. Uh, and it does mean that we should get rid of the death penalty as well as being pro-life, you know, for the unborn. Uh, but the problem with the death penalty is that it assumes, you have to assume that it's you have to say it's okay for the government to make mistakes on innocent people. You have to say that, yeah, there will be people who are put to death rightfully because they've committed a crime. And, and I'm not some leftist who thinks that you know, some people don't deserve to die. Sure, I think some people deserve to die. The only problem is, is that the government is so inept that I would have to say, well, it's okay for the government to make mistakes in the ultimate of punishment as long as I can punish these other people who I know are guilty and we've proven beyond a shadow of doubt. There are going to be innocent people who are killed because even DNA evidence just just like seven or eight months ago has shown to be not to be, has shown to be fallible has shown to, that there have been people who have been convicted and sentenced to death based on DNA evidence that it came out later that the government was wrong uh, there was this legal uh, this lawyer by the name of Blackstone who came up with a formulation where he and basically he said I would rather that ten guilty men go free than one innocent man be punished absolutely. And, I, and that's I, my belief. You, we no should, doubt. A just society does not punish the innocent. Yeah. Uh, and if you can make a mistake, you should not be able to make a mistake on the ultimate judgment of someone's life. Um, that that should be withheld. That power should be withheld from government. I mean, even looking at at the deep state and what's been going on with that, I mean, can you imagine uh, that the idea that you would give the power to, to kill a citizen to people like that? Yeah. And, and, and also the government can barely even help recover from hurricanes. The only, death, the only death penalty ought to be if you're defending your life or the lives of others in self-defense and somebody's robbing you or you know threatening your life, then you get the death penalty and it's right there. Yeah. Otherwise, we capture you, we put you in a cage. You know what? For most people, life is, is torture for a lot of those people. To, you know, death sometimes is sweet release for many of these people. And to have to live a life behind bars knowing that they'll never get out, that's actually a worse punishment than death in, death in many cases. I would think so. I would think so. I mean, I don't, I don't want to I, – I, I don't like to have to pay for them. Yeah. But, uh, but, I, but again, I, I'm just the, – the death penalty freaks me out. All right. So you sent me an uh, article uh, through Twitter that was written by Justin Balotano about immigration. Right. And the judge – and I, I, I read most of it. And I, I've I've known of the judge's position on this somehow that that um, 
human beings have this innate God-given right to travel mm-hmm. wherever they want to go. Mm-hmm. My only concern about this whole thing is that is that while that sounds great and and that's and that's a nice kind of unicorny view of sure. looking at everything. Uh, societies, though, sometimes the, the burden, first of all, on a society is 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 hardcore. You, you, you right. look at the Bertolt Brecht is this great parable called the Good Woman of Sichuan, and she wanted to be this good Samaritan. She took these people into her house, mm-hmm. and they and they kept coming, they kept coming, they kept coming. Finally, they ate her out of house and home. They destroyed yeah. her furniture and everything else. Absolutely. And so, this good Samaritan woman lost the ability to help anyone. She right. wanted to help somebody. But then help him so much that she couldn't help anyone. And you look at, like, for instance, Venezuela, where the, the burden of that government now of socialism has destroyed. And they're trying to get out, and they can't get out because right. Venezuela is closing the borders from people trying to leave. <laughs> right. Sometimes I wonder, you know, if you're thinking about the wall, if there was like a nuclear attack in Texas, if Americans wanted to flee south, there would be something <laughs> obstructing them from, <laughs> from going, right? So it does walls right. to keep people out can also be used to keep people in. Well, also, it's, uh, to me, though, the illegal immigration is more than just a, a, a burden on our society. Mm-hmm. It also seems to be a uh, inhumane on its face because you're creating, you're encouraging a subculture of people who sure. don't have any ties to this country except maybe sure. a paycheck, who certainly can't even call the police uh-huh. if they are an, if they are attacked or taken advantage of because for fear of being deported. I'm what kind of life is that? I'm sympathetic to these to these arguments, and I always have an open mind. You know, spending time with the judge, you know, he naturally had an impact on my belief on this. But of course, he was always looking at the Constitution and the guide to the found that the founding fathers gave us. But the concept of an illegal immigrant is less than a hundred years old in the United States. Uh, so there's a difference between naturalization and immigration. Naturalization is how you become an American citizen. Immigration is how you get here. Uh, And it wasn't until the late 1800s that the United States started writing laws about how you can or cannot get here. I think the very first law, immigration law, was uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act, right? So we had the fear, of course, of the Chinese coming. Did you know that the reason why we have so many Chinese restaurants around the world is the only reason they could, around the United States, is because the only reason they could stay here is if they owned a business? So we have Chinese restaurants all across the United States because the Chinese immigrants had an exception. If they owned a business, they could stay here. Wow. So they could, be ex- the, they could be excluded from the Chinese Exclusion Act. And of course, we, we wanted to stop the Italians and we needed to stop the Irish as well because of the know-nothings during Abraham Lincoln's time were worried about the Catholic yeah. influence. Right? So, uh, but then I think about you know, one of my, my opponents. If, if we had stopped those Italian immigrants, I'd have one less opponent in this race. He's trying to take my job. Tony Minetti. That damn immigrant <laughs> is trying to take my job. But it was meant for an American citizen born in Missouri. You know, The only yeah. candidate I'm running here is born in Missouri um, who's raised educated here. But anyways, that kind of attitude and sentiment doesn't fly with most people, right? Because there are a lot of people who don't like what I just said, talking about Chinese exclusion and Italian exclusion. Of course, Anne Frank, uh, who uh, tried to immigrate to the United States uh, as an as a, um, an asylum seeker, uh, she died, uh, you know, persecuted by the Nazis. But she tried to come to the United States. But we had quotas, of course. FDR didn't want too many Jews fleeing from Europe into the United States. I think if we had if we allowed churches to step up and do what they did during World War II, which was to sponsor 
asylum seekers rather than have the United States pay the, the price of the welfare burden. I think that the church has plenty of money that they would like to offer to asylum seekers. Again, if we had a smaller government, if we didn't have the federal government in charge of immigration, not naturalization, immigration, like the founding fathers that originally intended, then the churches would step up and there would be, there would, I think it would be less of a crisis. Uh, but the problem on the southern border won't be solved until we solve the problem of the welfare state, which is the incentive, some people coming here for the wrong reasons. And it won't be solved until we end the federal war on drugs, which is funneling billions of dollars south and pushing millions of people north. Um, and so, of course, the underlying problem always comes back to big government and the federal government's intervention into the marketplaces, which creates distortions, which creates negative effects. Um, Europe, they, they, are, they don't run on the same kind of welfare model. They're, we're talking about you get a free house if you go to Sweden, right? That's a massive incentive, which is why their problem is even right. bigger than ours right. in the United States. But the, the men in the late 1800s who started writing the immigration law in the United States were flawed. They were fallible. It wasn't Thomas Jefferson. It wasn't Alexander Hamilton writing immigration law. We're talking about the radical Republicans and the Reconstructionists. Um, and so that at that period of time, when we started going up through the progressive era, our immigration law got worse and worse and worse because, again, it was focused on excluding Chinese and Italians and, and Irish and so now in order for us to make a broader, you know, sort of anti-illegal immigrant laws, you know, we've, we've subverted due process. We've abandoned constitutional rights, basic due process for people who come to the United States. If you're an American citizen, if, you, if there's no due process, which Josh Hawley wouldn't admit that people have due process, say you lose your ID on a bender down at, you know, hanging out doing, you know, tequila shots in Mexico and you come back and you don't have your ID and you want to get back into the country, can you be deported? Because you don't have an ID so, and there's no due process, well, we just send you right back to Mexico. Well, wait a minute. I'm an American and I have rights. More than that, I'm an, I'm an individual who has intrinsic natural rights. Should I be able to challenge this in the court? Yeah, of course. And then they can verify my identity. Now, if you come here to commit acts of terrorism or to spread disease or you're a security risk or a gang member, yeah, you need to be arrested and you need to be deported. Right? Just because you're not for a massive FDR-style public works program on the southern border, that does not mean that you're for open borders. So the question is, 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 I mean, taken to its two extremes, let's look at the immigration argument from its two extremes. In my mind, a massive border wall won't really cut it. If you really see it as an invasion and a sincere danger and the threat that's being hyped, in my opinion, then you need to send the tanks and the troops and the, and the army and the military and you need mines and you need snipers and you need a real Berlin Wall situation on the southern border. And I wonder how many people who are for the wall are really ready to take it up to that level of rhetoric that is being espoused. And on the opposite sense, if you're for a complete open borders, well, you are for the concept of no nation state. I do believe in America as a nation state and as a culture and that we have the right to protect our borders. But I just want to protect our civil liberties. I want to ensure we're not unnecessarily adding to the debt. And I want to make sure that whatever proposals come out are respect private property rights of people who own land on the border because two-thirds of it is owned by private landowners or the states. Uh, It could take as many as 20 years for us to acquire that land. And by that time, Trump, of course, won't be the president of the United States because of term limits. I'm the only honest man in this race who's willing to tell people what they, I think they probably don't want to hear, which is why I should be your next senator, because I tell it like it is, and I'm willing to question some things that seem like orthodoxy, when in reality I've been adhering to conservative principles the entire time. But let's put it this way, though. Uh, You you look at a place like Ellis Island, Mm -hmm. and there was also a Ellis Island light down in New Orleans. Yeah. And so – 
that was a process that that people went through. I mean, and 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 there were standards that the country had. I mean, yeah. if you came in here with pneumonia, you were yeah, you were back on you the had boat. To go home. So how would that apply to your view of like, for instance, similarly? You- yeah, similarly. So uh, you know, a processing center on the southern border would I think would be a, a, a draw, a magnet, knowing that you are not a criminal knowing that you are not here to commit acts of terrorism or crime or that you don't have an infectious disease, what a powerful magnet that would be for people to go through that screening process and then perhaps they wouldn't have to be separated from their families, right? And maybe there would be DNA testing on the spot to determine, is that child that you brought in your child? Okay, well, we can find that out in six hours or less. Just give us a little bit of saliva sample. Boom, we know that you know, you're know you not sick. That is your child according to DNA evidence. And maybe they want a work visa. Well, you can get a work visa. And now now you're paying taxes, you're part of the legitimate system, you can speak English, you can contribute to the economy. But if you can't prove those factors, yeah, you do have to go home. I'm, you know, Again, I'm not for open borders. I do think that people who want to come here who are sick or who want to commit acts of terrorism or fear or who can't identify themselves, they do have to go home. I just simply think that the rhetoric, unfortunately, is, is just polarized, and we can't have an honest conversation about this right. anymore without it getting emotional. You know, we have, we know we have snowflakes on the right, too. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah, but, yeah. You know, but here's the thing, though. With 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 we already have processing centers here, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they are essentially all over the place where right. you can come and become an American citizen, which is what. But it takes like ten to fifteen to twenty five years, right? So, so I'm wondering whether or not we, are, at least when it comes to you said adjustments to be made, maybe yeah. maybe we ought to be able to trim down the time it takes to become a that's citizen. It. That's it. And, and, You've and, got it, and because you know, but we we have a process now and. I'm not quite sure whether, even if we had it, it only took a year. Whether we'd have some people actually be willing to, oh, to that go would be that. huge. But but here's the thing, Jamie. Now let's be intellectually honest here. Some people I think are advocating for less legal immigration. Okay, if they they want the overall number of people coming to the United States lowered. The problem with that is is if you want less legal immigration, you're going to get more illegal immigration. So the problem is is you have to fix this the system that we have which is broken, meaning that it has to become easier for people to come through legally. Otherwise, you're going to have that unintended consequence of illegal immigration. So the, everybody wants fewer illegal immigrants. I want no illegal immigrants here in the United States. Right. I want legal immigrants right. here in the United mm-hmm. States. Yeah. So that means fixing the broken system that we have. I think that's reasonable. Uh, I think that's in line with our principles. I don't think handing out benefits to people who come here to the United States right away is, is the way to go. But again, unfortunately, I, I don't think we can have reasonable conversation about this topic. It's so supercharged and it's become so politicized and uh, um, and again, you know, I'm a little, <laughs> I'm just a little flabbergasted that it's it's that people have taken my my views so out of context on this. You know, if you're not this, you're not you're that, right? It's black or white thinking. That's the problem. If you're not w- with us, you're with the terrorists. Right. Remember that mindset yeah. and attitude. You know, I believe in the, in the United States. I believe in our Constitution. I believe in having secure borders, but not at the expense of our civil liberties, and not at the expense of taking people's property uh, through eminent domain and going through this massive redistribution of wealth. Because listen, FDR and the Democrats, like they ought to love this project because of yeah. all of the taxes that it'll involve and the, the you know the unions that'll be used to build it. Maybe some migrant laborers, right? Well, and, and, and also keep in mind, we're here, we're in this situation because not because it only Democrats. We're in this situation because of Republicans sure. too. Uh, during the Bush administration, there. 
their crackdowns on employers uh, who hired illegal aliens was 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 shameful. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they hardly ever did. In fact, Clinton uh, dwarfed his numbers, dwarfed the numbers of the Bush administration yeah. in and cracking Obama, down on employers. Obama was the deporter in chief. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. he was doing these things, and and all of a sudden, it's a problem. You know why it's an election year. Yeah. So the Democrats are just looking to go out there and try and demonize the Republicans. It's probably why I'm the strongest Republican against Claire, by the way, is because I'm not out there playing the demonization game. You know, as, as politicians, you know, I've learned the lessons. I know what, what I should be doing is finding a group of people who have no power, demonizing them, telling the American people that they are the problem. They are the ones who are harming you. I will protect you from these people. And they can't, of course, fight back because they have no power. Right. But this is how people like Lyndon Johnson, remember, took power, right? This is how he got the African-Americans to come into the Democratic Party was because he demonized certain groups of people. And he said, I will save you from these people. So come and vote for me. Um, let's not adapt to, to adopt the topic, topic of the Democrats, right? Let's, let's continue to be constitutional conservatives. It doesn't mean that we have to lose American values, but we have to stick to our principles, even when it's unpopular to do so. I'm the only candidate who's done that in this race you know i'm the only candidate who's against tariffs against tax increases on american businesses which you if you haven't heard the mid-american nail company here in missouri is laying off people left and right i think they've lost 65 jobs already out of 500 employees Mm -hmm. now we're going to have to fight this battle they're they're talking about now as many as 495,000 potential job losses we're going to create 27,000 jobs from the from the tariffs. And those people are going to be really excited. But the almost 500,000 people that could be losing their jobs from this, from these tariffs, those people are not going to be able to complain because they're not, they're not going to have any voice in this debate. They're not going to have any power. Um, and so, again, the only conservative Republican who's running in a Republican primary who's willing to stand up and say, no, I'm against tax increases. No, I'm, a, I'm, I'm for due process for any persons under America, U.S. jurisdiction, like the 14th Amendment. We, fi- we had this little altercation. It was called the Civil War, where we worked this yeah, out, yeah. this cold thing. Um, and I'm the only Republican here in the Republican Senate primary who is open, honest, ready to debate Josh Hawley, who's out there saying Claire McCaskill needs to debate him. She's ignoring him. He's ignoring me. He's disrespecting the voters. And I really, this is really important for you to understand this, Jamie. I am the only Republican who can beat Josh and Claire. If the grassroots don't get together, Jamie, we're going to lose. Right. Okay? It, it, it's, guar- it's guaranteed. I, I know you mentioned, you mentioned the tariffs. I, yeah. I need to go back to that because, yeah, yeah. because the, the fact of the matter is we're in this situation again uh, the president continually has to try to put a Band-Aid on problems created by both parties, Democrats and Republicans. The tariff issue, again, is a draconian response to the fact that Republicans and Democrats have raped the American worker, the American manufacturer, uh, through their globalist trade deals. Uh, and the European Union is, as President Trump pointed out in his interview with Maria Bartiromo, is an awful uh, group of, of individuals who continually uh, bless you, Gia, who continually uh, uh, bend us over when it comes to taxes on our exports and everything else. Agreed. And at some point, the ship has to be righted. Now, sure. my, my, like people are talking about this Harley story. Harley's not going anywhere. Uh, they're threatening that they are, but they're, they're 18 months out of making any kind of move. To me, 
the tariffs are not going to last. But but I some, hope not. But that but doesn't that show you right there that you know the tariffs are wrong? I mean, because because even President Trump acknowledges. I think it was a diplomatic masterstroke when he was at the G seven summit and he turned around. Everyone was accusing him of being a protectionist, Justin Trudeau and, and, yeah. and Angela Merkel. And so he turned around and said, "Okay, I will drop all tariffs and barriers to international trade if you will." Yeah. Right. So it, w- brilliant, and, and and of course they're like, rah, 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 rah. we'll get back to you on that, Mr. Right. President. But doesn't that show that deep down his instinct is is to, to know that we don't want these tariffs yeah. and barriers to trade? We don't want these taxes. If it's a negotiating tactic and he gets them to drop their barriers to trade, I will next year as the senator from Missouri, I right. will go up. To That's the what I think it is. I will say, Mr. President, allow me to shine your shoes today. Right. Right. <laughs> that, see, that's what I think Missouri, it is, Austin. Because I'm willing to admit, yeah. yeah when the president, I think the president has fantastic instincts. But here's the thing: you can't just send somebody to Washington D.C. who says I'm going to do everything the president wants because that means we don't even need a senate no right? you of course not yeah. just let him write the law and let him execute it because here's the thing a yes man is a dangerous man we've got a lot of yes men yeah. in this races josh Hawley is certainly one yeah uh because he bent over backward on the gun control thing right uh but a yes man is also not an honest man right and i've been the only republican senate candidate in this race who's been perfectly transparently honest even on these unpopular things that we're talking about to an audience of people who love president trump who don't want to hear anything but build the wall here I am standing in front of you offering to you my soul and my spirit and my true beliefs and, and basing it in constitutionalism. I'm the only guy who can, yeah. who can win this thing and then fire Claire McCaskill. If Josh wins, and it's looking like he will, uh, we, we, we know where we're at and where everybody else is at. Uh, it's looking really good for Josh right now. He knows it. Uh, that's why he's not debating. The only way to beat him is if we stop messing around and we get behind my campaign, which you may not agree with everything that I, that I say, but you know I'm honest, and, and you know that you agree with me on 80 to 90% of the things, and I will defend your rights and liberties and listen to what you have to say and take criticism. Um, I don't even block people on Twitter <laughs> or Missouri people who want <laughs> right, right. to criticize me, Democrats, but this is it, Jamie, one month. Uh, so it's time are you ready to endorse me, Jamie? The problem is, well, <laughs> I, I've never, endo- I'm not endorsing anybody. But uh, are you I, voting for me? I've, I've put, I've put people. I, I've, I was in Kansas City when Sarah Palin came from Minetti. Mm-hmm. I'll be at Cortland Sykes Barbecue on the seventh. I'll be P- at Peter Pfeiffer's uh, Cool Dell thing. I'll be at an Austin Peterson. I've whatever ra- you're going to do, I've raised more money than every other not Josh Hawley candidate combined. One of the persons that you just mentioned hasn't even filed any financial reports. Cortland Sykes has less than $200 in his account. Um, you saw the crowd at the uh, Palin thing. This isn't 2008 anymore. Uh, again, look at the fundraising, right. Jamie. I love Sarah Palin, though. I, I, I like her. A great listen, guy. She's always been cool as hell. Yeah. I, listen, I like Sarah Palin. I look forward to working with her. But we're, not, we're, we're screwing around here with a Supreme Court pick. Yeah. We're screwing around with letting Mitch McConnell's boy go through because we want to play, play around because we're mad at Austin because he disagreed with me on something. Well, the only reason that you're disagreeing with me is because you know where I no, stand. No, I think I think most people. I'm no. I mean, I, I, I there might be some people who are uh, that way with you. I think most people. Uh, you you explain your positions very well on these matters. I don't think. I think there are a lot of people, especially in 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 my realm, the yeah. Radio Free Almond realm. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people who are more than happy to hear. Sure. And, and would be well, would and when they can hear me you. unfiltered rather right. than through Twitter or the haters. I'm just telling you right now, Jamie, that Josh Hawley is on the track to win this thing. Yeah. And then he will lose to Claire, and we will have Claire for another six years. And Hawley will go back to his AG position because he didn't even care in the first place. He didn't want to run. He said that when he was asked. And right now he's six points behind her, okay? Even with the undecideds, he could lose to Claire by an even bigger margin. 
I'm telling you, 16-point lead, and it's because of all the things that you like about me that give me that broad appeal. No other Republican claim, can claim that. Did you know in the, during the Todd Aiken election that the Libertarians got 6%? So yeah, I, the, I did. I'm the only Republican who can get all of those six points. Yeah. And some of the things that may make some Republicans uncomfortable about me in the Republican primary suddenly become massive strengths in a general. Not only do I beat Claire by 16 points overall, I beat her by 19 points with women. I beat her by 41 points with young people, Jamie, do you want to take away all the foot soldiers of the left, all the young people who are going to come out for Claire this fall, suddenly have a libertarian Republican to show up for and say, Claire ain't done nothing for us lately. The future is the Republican Party. Well, we Party can see that Army. a little. We saw that a little bit with the election of President Trump and then mm-hmm. the independent-minded individuals yeah. out there in Missouri and beyond. But let me go back to Claire and this nail company. Yeah. Uh, the, the, and, and the tariffs, because sure. Claire McCaskill's on her usual, she's back to her, I'm a Main Street Democrat now, yeah. which is a complete to total jobs. fabrication. And, and it's funny, because I know the Post-Dispatch, pretty much the Post-Dispatch was the last uh, journalistic entity to do a story on this nail company. This nail mm-hmm. company, Newsweek reported on it two weeks ago, and right. some other publication had New York Times had it, and, and the Post-Dispatch finally got around to covering the story about the nail company. Mm-hmm. But but keep in mind, all these entities, Newsweek, New York Times, uh, the, uh, the uh, Post-Dispatch, Claire McCaskill, these folks created the situation yeah. that the nail company is in now. It wasn't President Trump. And I'm talking about because they have supported globalist economic policies that have made it harder and harder for this country and its manufacturing base to rebuild or to, to get yeah. back into it. Yeah. And so what's happened is President Trump has had to respond rather knee-jerkily, although, um, yeah. uh, although he wasn't nearly as bad as Ronald Reagan was mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. But in a knee-jerk fashion, because he's trying to coerce, and I still believe it is a coercion measure. It's it's a yeah. it's a art of the deal thing for him. Uh, even if it does have temporary consequences, it won't have long-term ones. Yeah. But 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 it's it, weird to see people like Claire McCaskill and others complaining and feigning yeah. this this fake concern for these people when in fact well, she voted against the tax cuts. I mean, how, that ought yeah. to tell you right there what she thinks about the about the so tariffs are a tax, right? So she votes against the actual tax cuts, and and now she's and now she's against tariffs, which are a tax, right? So it, it doesn't make any sense. There's no consistency, right? It's just blatant pandering. I, I highly encourage your uh, listeners to read Grover Cleveland and his uh, acceptance speech for President of the United States when he railed against tariffs and he talked about them being coercive and being theft, like Calvin Coolidge when he talked about. Was it the first time or the decision. second time? The second time that second. he was, because he, he was the only one to serve non consecutive yeah. terms, right? Grover Cleveland. So please read him. Also, the conservative scholars, uh, Henry Hazlitt, um, probably the biggest conservative uh, economist mind during the 1940s, uh, wrote about tariffs in economic. In one lesson, highly recommend your uh, conservative conservative viewers listen to this uh, and read that as well. And also Frederick Bastiat, he wrote a, 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 a the the candle makers petition, essentially talking about how protectionist tariffs. We we have the candle makers are we're getting free light from the sun. So if we want to protect candle makers, we should force everyone to put up the shades. <laughs> Right, that way, because we shouldn't be able to get free light. I mean, that that's harming people who manufacture cal, who yeah. manufacture gas and tallows. Right, so that's the that's the mindset behind protectionism. Right, is that is that we're we're concerned that Americans might be getting things a little too inexpensively. Uh, uh, do you ever shop at Walmart? 
I do. Yeah. Hey, yeah. And do, do you ever feel victimized by the low, low prices that you get at Walmart? No, I just <laughs> don't like. I don't like the fact that it smells like popcorn and rubber flip flops. Right. But that's and, a, that's, and, a, and that's ba- about and, it. And baby diapers. Right? Yeah. But, but, but no. Other than that, yeah. The free trade benefits the United States. Um, if we if China throws rocks in their harbors, we don't want to respond by following suit. We want to make sure that we're we're allowing our consumers to get the best possible price. And the thing is, is unfortunately we have a, a nostalgia in the United States. I think that's taken over. Is people are afraid. They're afraid of automation. Right? They're afraid of they're afraid of in, just like they were afraid of industrialization. Right, the cotton gin came around. Well, as all of a sudden the slave masters are like, well, what are we going to do now? Like, I, I I need slavery right to continue my my process. No, we need to continue to move forward to abolish. Certain industries, certain industries don't exist anymore. Like the ice delivery man, for example, he used to walk around New York City with his horse and buggy, and he would deliver pieces of ice. And we did, we we invented this thing called the refrigerator. Nobody likes to admit that it's possible that certain industries or certain jobs in certain capacities need to go away. Uh, certainly, no politician is ever going to say something like that because that's that's not going to help you get votes. But if we want a better future and a brighter country and a more prosperous United States, some industries are going to go by the wayside, and other industries are going to pop yeah. up. And, and we're a developer nation. People say we need to bring back manufacturing jobs, but what about better jobs? What about developer jobs? What about getting people trained in industries like computer science? What about getting people trained in industries like robotics, which will be performing a lot of these things? And every time I hear people complaining about cheap wages, right, like foreign labor and things like that. First of all, that was Karl Marx who, who was first complaining about cheap labor because the Irish were coming into England. But I just have to remember, well, the minimum wage is, is, is trying to solve the problem of cheap labor by increasing everyone's wages by force of law. But what happens? All of the jobs that could be created in the $1 to $14 an hour range are suddenly destroyed. And the people who can't get jobs because they're unemployed, unskilled, unable to get these jobs, they don't know that the minimum wage is harming them. Right. Right? So just like a lot of sometimes these manufacturers, they don't know that the tariff, you know, if they lose their job at the nail factory, they don't understand how the tariff works. Right? But you, that's why you elect representatives like Austin Peterson to Washington who have read the books, who understand economics, who have spent time at the Cato Institute, who knows that there are positives to globalization and negatives to globalization. And we want to exacerbate the positives and we want to downplay the negatives. And we do want to have deals that favor the United States. I believe in unilateral trade deals, not these multilateral right. trade deals. And we deals. need to have deals that also favor the American worker. And I'll give you an example. Yes. This is how this, this actually ties into, uh, in an in a, in a indirect way, to the immigration issue. Mm-hmm. The Republicans and Democrats over the past 25 years have, have done nothing to, uh, to help the American worker and everything to help the foreign worker. I'm talking about the tech visas. And, and President Trump came in and, and, and said, we've got to start limiting the number of tech visas here. Because one of the reasons why we don't have a whole lot of people trained in robotics and everything else is because all we do is import people who already are trained mm-hmm. instead of actually focusing on training our own people here. So well, we have diversity do, lotteries, which make no exactly. sense. Exactly. And, and, but, but, the, but the tech visas – now, I, I, the agricultural visas, I think, are important, and sure. I get that. But the tech visas are really – where, where where companies like they're almost like these foreign temp agencies, and they get a big box mm-hmm. of these tech visas that they hand out <laughs> like you know candy to people in India and and all over the place. And and I do believe I don't think it's xenophobic to mm-hmm. say you know what we need to stop continuing to import yeah. workers yeah. until we know because really yeah. the only reason that a company. And they don't obey the law as it is. Right. The only reason that a company 
is utilizing these tech visas the way they are mm-hmm. uh, is because they're violating the one element of the law that regulates tech visas. That is, you have to prove that there's no American able to do the job. A- and they never are ha- having to prove that. In fact, nobody even right. knows it's part of the law. Mm-hmm. So hmm. to your point yeah. regarding immigration and everything else, and, and, and you're fairly open on that matter, mm-hmm. would you be open to the idea of limiting these visas? Hmm. That's the first time I've actually been asked that question. Can I say? Can I say I don't know? Um, yeah, so, you so, can. So, so Friedrich Hayek um, was a you know Austrian economist, you know, really conservative libertarian type, and he won the Nobel Prize for uh, this concept called the fatal conceit, uh, where he talked about how central planners in Washington have these grand schemes and designs and plans, just like the Soviets had their five year plans. Remember, we were going to have these five year plans every five years. Um, and so, I, I say I don't know because I don't know what the impact that might have on our economy. We we may need need more immigrant tech immigrant visas i don't know yeah well uh, I, I know that there's i, I know, know that there are there are people who graduate from rala who yeah. can't find jobs right well it may be because it's illegal to hire them for less than 15 dollars an hour in some places <laughs> yeah possibly uh, yeah i mean and, and here's the thing back on that on that point i mean jamie if i wanted to come and learn what you do here right i, I may actually be willing to pay you i mean if i could go work for steven spielberg for two or three films i'd be willing to pay maybe as much as a million dollars to go and work for him so unfortunately because we don't have a base understanding of how economics work and how jobs are actually created in this country. They're not created by government, FYI. Right, right. Governments do not create jobs. That's why I'm so worried about when government does things like, you know, something like a limiting, you know, a visa, for example, is that I don't want the government involved in telling people who they can or can't hire. If you've got somebody like your cousin in Bangladesh who wants to come over here and work for you, Jamie, I don't want the federal government telling you that you can't have that person get a work visa or a tech visa. I'm fearful of big government, so I'm, I'm naturally skeptical. But I'll say I don't know on this policy only because well, the visa, it's but I don't the visa know. program itself is big government sure. because because what they're doing is they're yeah. absolutely they're actually going out as much like the diversity visa mm-hmm. they're going out and seeking people right. uh, now it's one why thing, would they do that is it because the, is it because the American people aren't trained enough on this in technology to be able to fill these jobs absolutely and and there's no incentive for them uh, to be trained because uh, because the fact of the matter is if if a if a company mm-hmm. for instance wants a worker who already knows then it used to be like in the past you'd have apprentice programs you'd have all these kind right. of things going the unions do that now. Uh, and, and which is is just good good on right. them. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you can look at the pipe fitters and Absolutely. the carpenters and all these guys. They're not they're not getting people from India coming in here to work right. on on uh, on union trade right. jobs. So with the tech guys, though, mm-hmm. uh, they they basically are allotted a certain number of these visas, and that to me is big government involvement. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. the government shouldn't uh, shouldn't have to create jobs, but it shouldn't also get in the way. Of people getting jobs, yeah, Americans I, getting yeah, jobs. Yeah, I mean, I'm open to arguments on this one. Yeah. It's just it's it's one topic that I don't happen to know a whole yeah. lot about. So. Well, you know what, what happened is it was mentioned and then it just kind of disappeared. Yeah, because you know we weren't we were but we weren't talking the, about it. Anymore. Well, I know the president sat down for like in his first six weeks of office and sat down with the business leaders. Yeah, and they were saying we need more of these visas, and he seemed open to that concept. So I don't know if that's falling off the table or what. what yeah, are, what are the conditions that surround that? So if you do have a tech company that comes in, or, I mean a, a tech visa person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do they have uh, a requirement that they have to train some Americans? No, they, no, they, well, but they, they're, they're supposed to be able to prove that they can't hire an American okay, for the right. job. And they never, they're never, they never have to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's well, the problem. But anyway, okay. uh, so um, uh, it, it sounds to me like 
that's why I think we need people who are generally outside of the stream to come in mm-hmm. with new thoughts on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, President Trump, you know, f- and Jim Carafano kind of alluded to this, you know, sometimes you're going to make mistakes. Sometimes you're going to kind of go full bore right. in trying to be creative. But let, let's put it this way. We mm-hmm. know for a fact that leadership for the past 25 years hasn't worked. Right. Uh, we, we know that Democrats and Republicans, in my opinion, have been culpable equally, in my opinion, mm-hmm. to the downturn in the economy, to everything else. So I love the idea of having people who, let's say, would not be a Josh Hawley mm-hmm. appointed by these people who have destroyed this country over the past two decades. Uh, and, and, and to me, you know, the, the Mitch McConnells of the world, they have, they have not lifted a finger to help. It wasn't – and President Trump he came in. People all accused him of being a know-nothing and he doesn't know this and he's stupid and he's just this and this. And he proved him wrong. He, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that we have – I think we can come to the conclusion that anybody who is spit out of the machine yeah. that has destroyed this country for the yeah. past 25 years – uh, should be rejected. Can I say I feel bad for the president in this in this Missouri case because I think he doesn't know that these other candidates are running. I think that uh, the vice president Mike Pence and others and you know came in and said, "Hey, Josh Hawley's your yeah. guy to support him." Um, and I, I think you know the the thing with Josh Hawley is in some ways I feel like they're trying to play it safe. Um, but this Trump is, it has shown that the play it safe mold is, is going to get you a Democrat, right? Trump won because they were, Hillary Clinton was a safe pick, experienced, right? She had the, uh, Josh Hawley has that same kind of Hillary Clinton inevitability vibe, right? Which I think people are rightfully disgusted at. I, but I, I have to reiterate to you, Jamie, I am telling you right now that the grassroots is on the verge of a big loss this year in Missouri. And when I say the grassroots is up for a verge of big loss, we're all going to lose if the grassroots don't unite. Because the fact of the matter is, mathematically, is that I am the only guy who can beat Josh and then beat Claire. Otherwise, it's going to be Holly. The next senator from Missouri is going to be Claire McCaskill or Austin Peterson now. It won't be Josh because he doesn't care enough to do it. He's not fundraising like even people like Jim Talon, who you had just on, who's criticized him publicly for not campaigning, coming out and saying, not showing up to events, every opportunity he's had not to show up. You're going to have to unite the party. Did you know that I outperformed Josh Hawley with Republicans by 22 points? That means that this fall, if the base is not excited, we're going to have another Kevin Corlew like we did in northwest Missouri where he couldn't turn out the base. Right. You need a Republican who can turn out the conservative base. And again, like I said, you may not agree with me on absolutely everything, but I'm the best guy to beat Josh, only one who's in the black. You know, debt-free. Like I've actually run a fiscally conservative campaign. I haven't taken millions of dollars from super PACs, but when you see my next fundraising report, there will be zero debt. I will be in the black, and I've run a fiscally conservative campaign. The only not Josh Hawley Republican Senate candidate. Don't believe me. Look it up. Take a look at where my other opponents in the stands, and I appreciate you playing fair, Jamie, but when you walk into the ballot box on August 7th, you, you need to know who's in, who has the capability of actually accomplishing the change that we've been talking about for the last hour. And I know Mitch McConnell is one thing regarding the support of Josh Hawley, but mm-hmm. – but I have to tell you, the worst part about all this is is the stink that he has on him of John Danforth. No. Danforth is a <laughs> never Trump. He's a he's a hate one of the most hateful, yeah. bitter, vile Republicans I, I've I've ever seen in recent memory. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he went out and supported Hawley in the very beginning, uh, to, to me, 
if if John Danforth had his way, Hillary Clinton would be president of the United States. Yeah. Uh, so so I don't so. trust him as far as I could throw him, and and yet he's you know Saint John to the Post Dispatch and everything else. But you know that that told me everything I needed to know regarding Josh, and I've asked him point blank about John Danforth, and he says, "Well, I'm my own man. I'm my own man." But I'm telling you. Yeah. It's hard to be your own man when John Danforth has his stink all over yeah, you. Let, let's get granular here. Um, so what Josh Hawley did to Eric Greitens, right, do you think he would do that to the president? I mean, the president's under the same kinds of accusations, right? The only deal, the only difference is, is that president can defend himself. Greitens was bankrupted out of office. He wasn't convicted of anything. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. And when Josh Hawley is a senator, U.S. senator, and those accusations come around again, which I'm sure they will because that's the less favorite tactic now, where will Josh Hawley stand? Will he stand with the president like he does right now, or will we do what he did to Eric Greitens? He's already shown his true colors. And if you want to get uber granular here, let's talk about the people who are surrounding the president right now as opposed to who were surrounding him six months to a year ago. I'm hearing right now that the neoconservatives, the people who Trump's roundly kicked their ass, are worming their way back in the administration. And we've seen that with people like John Bolton. We're, mm-hmm. we're looking at General Kelly perhaps leaving the White House. We're looking at, I'm, I'm reading that the president is no longer listening to James Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, who if I had been president in 2016 would have been my Secretary of Defense. And you could be damn sure I would have listened to every word that mad dog James Mattis had said, yeah. the warrior monk. Um, and then and then who are the other people that are coming into the administration that are whispering in the president's ear? It is important that we make sure that we put good constitutional conservatives around the president who are not a part of that old order. Uh, and, and I'm telling you right now that the, the neoconservatives, the people who brought us George w., the George W. Bush years, the people who voted for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump but who, call, who deigned to call themselves conservatives and Republicans yeah. are putting themselves into the graces of the Trump administration because they know that as soon as they get him cornered, they can get him out. And then in 2020, they'll run a John Kasich against him. They'll run someone else against him who is more akin to them, just like they did with the Egg McMuffin character, whoever that guy was last time. Um, right? yeah. They're, they're going to find that never Trump guy. And if and, and you tell me, Jamie, look me in the eyes, and you tell me if you think Josh Hall, if it becomes close... And it's it's a Trump it's Donald Trump versus a never Trump like squishy moderate neoconservative type right and and it looks like it's close and Hawley has to make a decision what do you think he's going to do Well I have to tell you I I'm not I'm not as I don't have as dire a outlook of 2020 I'm not saying I'm not defending Josh Hawley I just don't I I do think that's a fear mm-hmm. uh, uh, and and all I had to do was see how our Republican congressional de- delegation put up not even one inch of a fight when they had the meeting in, in uh, Mike Parsons' office. <laughs> and, and, and I, I look at the post-dispatch picture of the thing, and there's the governor, and there's Claire McCaskill sitting right next to him. <laughs> the, the, the Democratic senator who's up for re-election is yeah. sitting right next to him. Where were Ann Wagner's people? Where were Blunt. Blaine Lichtenmeyer's people? Where were Blunt's people to say, Bull crap. What's she doing sitting right next to our Republican? Yeah. I mean, she's uh, smart. She, it, knows, she knows what she's doing. Uh, it's almost like they don't even want Hawley to be the, at this point to win. So to me, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm very fearful of that. I don't think Mattis is going anywhere. Bolton, I think, um, yeah, he, but Bolton was never a real critic of Trump beforehand. But right. all I'm saying is, though, I agree with you, though. These guys are sniffing around and, and they're and they're trying they're to worm their way weak, in. They're looking for weak spots, and, and it's not just and, and the people yeah. that that are more dangerous, in my opinion, are not necessarily people who are uh, the the loud ones. The people, but the but the lazy ones. Yeah. This is this battle in the Republican Party has been going on for a hundred years. You got yeah. a, you got a book right here. 
Uh, right now, there are two big schools of thought within conservatism. There are progressive Republicans in the style of Theodore Roosevelt, which, by the way, Josh Hawley's book is dedicated and written about Theodore Roosevelt. That's the president he most admires. president that I most admire, this guy right here. Calvin Coolidge, baby. Yeah, I doubt that any of my other not Josh Hawley candidates could name one accomplishment from this gentleman yeah, right here. Yeah, no. Uh, and so right now we have a choice. We can have a progressive Republican at the top of our ticket, or you can have a conservative Republican. you got two options, and only one of us can beat Claire. Resoundingly yeah. by double digits. You know, it's interesting because um, there are lots of things about Teddy Roosevelt I admire. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, but he, but he was also kind of the he was the national parks guy. Yeah. He was the guy. Great you know, outdoorsman. I get it. But but Coolidge was the one who, unfortunately, well, I always go back to that 1924 bit that he did, and, and I I'll, I play it for people, but I don't want to have to find it, but I should have it already. Just, just, it's just taxation is theft. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's the, it was the first time in in the nation's history that we saw. It was 1924. Uh, it was uh, 14 years after, or no, 10. 11 years after the the uh, the debacle known as the federal income tax came about right and and it, this was this was the the first time a president was ever not was filmed and recorded like yeah. it was the first time anybody right. had ever seen a president speak mm-hmm. on like film yeah. and 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 it was a speech given like out on the lawn someplace mm-hmm. Uh, near the White House, and he talked about how if you don't get your budget under control here, there, we're going to become essentially a nation of serfs. He didn't use the term serf, mm-hmm. but he said we're going to be ultimately at some point in our lives as Americans working a certain portion of our week solely for the government. That was 1924. Yeah. Calvin Coolidge and Grover Cleveland, probably two of the most libertarian slash conservative presidents in American history, and they're two of the, the most forgotten. Like we, we lionize our wartime presidents here because of the, the immense mm-hmm. sweeping powers that they took under themselves, Abraham Lincoln, FDR, Woodrow Wilson, and others. And yet we, we, so we don't demonize, but we sweep under the rug the president's silent cow because they didn't do much, right? He said the, the business of the American people is business, yeah. and, le- and let them get to business and get to work and do their own people. Like I, I wish that... That Reagan's legacy had been fulfilled. Uh, we were in a Cold War. We had a problem with Russia, and I understand. You know, we we um, we had some pro- some limitations. I think Trump has an opportunity. Some people are saying Trump's the greatest president yet. Let's wait and see. It's still a little early, uh, but there has been no president like Reagan since since or since Reagan that has done as much for liberty as Trump has. I recognize that. I and I fully believe that. Um, but you know. Right now, the reason why I'm running for the United States Senate is so that I can implement that man's ideas. Yeah. Uh, is to continue the promise of the, the Reagan generation. Uh, it's no secret I come from the Ron Paul, Ronald Reagan wing of the Republican Party. Uh, but that's the Coolidge wing. You know, there's a reason why the Republican Liberty Caucus, the Barry Goldwater wing, unanimously endorsed me in this primary. It's because that's, those are the ideas I represent. That's, that's, those are good Missouri ideas. You know, Calvin Coolidge's name is inscribed at the Liberty Memorial in Kansas City where I live. People identify with that. Mm-hmm. The long history of American progress has been a struggle between in the industrial interests of the North and the agrarian South. Missouri is an agrarian state, uh, so you have to have a Republican Senate candidate who can represent the agrarian, the interests of agrarian Missouri, while also being, bringing in those cities like Kansas City and St. Louis. I think I represent that more than anybody in this race, uh, and and while I, I don't think we have to compromise our, our ideals, 
like Josh Hawley did when he came out in favor of gun control in order to appease the left. I think there are conservative principles that can be appealing to Democrats. Uh, the reason why I beat Claire by 16 points is because, yes, I believe I'm pro-life. Yes, I'm pro-gun, you know, rapidly pro-gun. But I also believe in things like criminal justice reform. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, again, that we need to reform our justice system so that we don't have the tension between citizens in Ferguson, Missouri, and the police. I think people have contempt for the law in the United States simply because the law is so complicated and there are so many of them that we have no respect for the law. In order for us to return respect for the law, we need to have fewer laws and they need to be enforced properly. But right now, I think, who is the famous rock star who went in front of the Congress in the 1980s? He says, the United States is a nation of laws, badly written and randomly enforced. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, I, I have to tell you, though, uh, you know, even even the quintessential conservative, Ronald Reagan, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned, uh, made mistakes. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, oddly enough, Harley-Davidson uh, – would not be in business now had Ronald Reagan not made the mistakes that he did, which was he was tariff crazy. And he taxed clothespins, for crying out loud, (laughs) lumber, you name it. And and also, by the way, taxed the rice rocket coming over from Japan, all the the motorcycles. And, And basically, it's weird that Harley's in this position now where yeah. they're they're threatening to move because of tariffs when tariffs hardly wouldn't yeah. even be around if it weren't for tariffs. Well, Harry Truman went full blown communist. He seized steel manufacturing <laughs> yeah. in the United <laughs> yeah. States, uh, nationalized that stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, there, there's listen. Any socialist right now, like people are lauding that socialist in New York who won that primary. Right? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That incumbent Democrat. Well, it's 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 probably easy to win if you just go out there and you offer free stuff, free this, free that, free this, free that. Right? You're going to get people voting who've never voted before because they're like, oh, I want free stuff. Right. Right. But unfortunately, the problem, why it's so hard for us to advance conservative principles is because we don't offer free stuff. We offer freedom. But Mm -hmm. with freedom comes responsibility. And responsibility is something that I think, you know, some people would be would rather they'd rather give up their responsibility in order to have the safety and the security. Right. We sacrifice safety. We we sacrificed our liberty for security and for safety. We've let it get away from us. We have a massive government right now. Ronald Reagan started to turn the tide, but ultimately mm-hmm. it ended up with a you know massive debt and deficits and and exploding uh, spending. And now we have President Trump, who's cut taxes more than Reagan ever has, uh, who who has said he would overturn Obamacare if the Senate could actually put through legislation. And no thanks to Susan Collins and Murkowski and others. I think President Trump has the chance to be the most conservative president since Calvin Coolidge, even more than Reagan, but only if we get good senators in there. That's yeah. it. It's the Senate right now, and um, and that's what this battle in Missouri is over, and I hope that the people who are listening are taking it as seriously uh, as this situation portends. Well, and that, and that's the thing, too. It, it always it kills you every time, it, and, it, and, it, and it killed um, – I, I think the, the state of Kansas had a problem with this too, where you had a situation where you cut taxes, but you didn't cut spending. Right. And and one of the things I know you mentioned at the debate, which what because somebody asked, like, what do you think President Trump's biggest mistake has been so far? Yeah. And that is not vetoing that. And you said it was oh, not vetoing yeah. that omnibus spending bill. And everybody was like, yeah. <laughs> right? Because because you, you, you the you, things where I disagree with Trump, most conservatives agree with me. Yeah, right. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna hurt the economy if you if you don't if you're if you're cutting taxes but you're not cutting spending it yeah. just doesn't it doesn't yeah. ever compute we're talking about new rounds of federal tax cuts business corporate tax cuts i'm excited i love it great yeah. idea and i and listen milton friedman said i'm in favor of cutting taxes anytime anywhere any for any reason you know whenever possible so i'm going to follow that line as well 
but we do have to cut spending. Rand Paul is the only guy when that omnibus was being passed who got up there at 3 a.m. and was screaming against it, and everybody says he's the crazy, he's the loony tune. No, we don't like Rand Paul because <laughs> sometimes he disagrees with the president. Well, freaking hey, that's we send Republicans to Washington D.C. to cut spending and to cut taxes and right. to give us limited government and to have a strong military and to ensure that we do have border security. And so that's what Republicans should be doing. But when they promised for seven years that they were going to repeal Obamacare and then when they got in there and they had the power to do it, they didn't do it. It makes me think it's time to clean house. It's time to drain the swamp. Uh, as we can't replenish the swamp, we've got a chance to replenish the swamp this year or to keep the status quo to have Claire McCaskill in there. I, I do think she'll probably vote for the Supreme Court justice, by the way. If I had to guess about what Claire's going to do, um, in October, oh, to save her rear. That yeah. October, but it'll be in October. Um, and if she does, you know, listen, I speak to conservative Republicans that, who say, I voted for Claire McCaskill every single time and I'll do it again because she is so good. Oh, yeah. At playing that moderate. So if in October the surprise comes and it's a moderate, you know, Supreme Court justice, she'll come out and say, well, I know my Democrat base will be upset, but we do, remember, we got right to work and we, and I've done all these things for veterans and stuff like that. And Hawley, who's like, you know, a reluctant candidate is, is going to lose his, his, what he has as a strength against her. Right. She, he loses that, right? I, I get to maintain all my strengths. Actually, I get to, my strength doubles in a general election against Claire because she would have to divide her base to come and attack me she can present a unified front against someone like holly because she's first of all she's got the playbook written already she thinks that's who she's going to run against but if she wants to come up against me what's going to be her argument she's going to say oh well i came out in favor of medicinal marijuana six months ago well austin was there years ago and the young people can sniff out the bs um and that's why i beat her by 41 points with young people but conservative principles can win here in missouri we got one shot and um i know that i'm in a position because I'm a candidate, people are like, oh, well, of course he's going to say that. But you get... You can't argue with math. The numbers are the numbers. You know, look at our fundraising reports. I am the strongest Republican Senate candidate, the closest to beat Josh. I don't know if I can beat Josh. I'll be honest with you. I don't know. Um, It's not looking too good right now, but it's looking better for me, way better for me than any other candidate. Yeah. Uh, And uh, and so if you want to beat Josh... The grassroots either unites. It's unite or die. Join or die right now. Well, uh, let me let me ask you a quick question because we got we to get out of here. Sure. But uh, you're in town here for what? Uh, Heather said you were like four days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How many interviews are you doing with Channel 4, yeah. Channel 2, yeah. Channel 5? Don't know. Um, I, I mean, are these people – because yeah. my, my, here, here's what I'm getting at. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not just the – establishment that puts up these candidates or whatever. And, and, and I was as shocked as you were when President Trump was in St. Louis mm-hmm. and he came out and said, <laughs> talked about Josh Hawley. We're all sitting there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, our jaws were dropping. Like, yeah. who, who, I, was in the, I was in the front row. My hair blew back, you know, but then somebody behind me said, we'll see about that. And I was yeah. like, all right. All yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, but the other problem is that the media also, I mean, because you know the Post-Dispatch wants Josh Hawley Kansas City there, Star right? wants Josh Hawley bad, yeah. too. They want him real bad. You know, yeah. they, they, they write all these editorials where it's Josh versus Claire, and they're like, we hope that they would debate their primary opponents, but Claire and Josh need to debate these Supreme Court picks and stuff like that. And what will happen is they're going to turn on Josh as soon as they do. They're going oh, pro- yeah. to prop him up. 
and ignore the guy who beats her by 16 points because they don't know how to deal with me because I'm sort of chaos over right, here. Right, right. Right, but they're like, we understand what Josh is, and then as soon as Josh wins the primary, if he wins, then the media suddenly sinks their Oh, yeah, of their course. Teeth. You're going to find things out about Josh Hawley that none of us knew, right? You know, all of the things that, all of the stuff in his closet that the Democrats have, you know, they've got millions of dollars, they're ready to go to drop him in six weeks. I mean, and then what happens to the grassroots conservatives when they don't have one of their own, when we don't put forward one of our own and then they, and then it's time it's august 7th and it's a rainy day and it's you know maybe humid and hot out and people are like yeah you know like it's yeah. josh holly you know like do i really want to come out and then on, on in november what happens then you know do they show up i don't know man i, I it's yeah. not look it's not looking good for us right i don't know i me. think people are really i i think this thing i, I want to be opt- i'm an optimistic guy yeah yeah i find silver linings in every cloud i'm yeah. telling you right now the situation is dire and i'm telling you that because i know and i've seen the numbers and the statistics and where everybody's at generally and I'm telling you right now, it's shaping up to be a McCaskill versus Holly race, and McCaskill yeah. wins uh, by six points. Watch, always watch out for the media's favorite Republican yeah. mm-hmm. because yeah. they yeah. did it with John McCain, mm-hmm. and Absolutely. boom, he gets swamped. Mitt Romney, yeah, they swamped. love them and they get trashed. Uh, yeah. they, they don't like those underdog upstart candidates because they don't know how to cover them, because, right? And because they can't control them, right? They can't manipulate them. Listen, I worked in the mainstream media. I know how how you've set a narrative. I yeah, know, I know what happens behind the scenes. I know what CNN and MSNBC and all these guys are doing in order to shape the narrative. They want it to be Holly versus Claire because it's easy to cover. It's simple. Holly writes the press releases. They publish it. Claire does the same. And they're both, get, they're both calling in favors to ensure that it's Holly versus Claire right. in, in the media. Right, that's why there was that stupid Greitens thing where it was like, Greitens might run for U.S. Senate. Well, that was a Claire McCaskill hit job <laughs> yeah, right. up and down, right? Yeah. And do you think yeah. that – yeah, there's a reason why – um, uh, you know, the right wing media isn't paying attention to me, despite the fact that I'm one of them. It's because millionaires are calling in favors to ensure that Austin doesn't do it. You know, they don't want me on 97.1 because every because now every time I go all over say, all around St. Louis, Jamie, they're like, I heard you on 97.1. I'm voting for you. And so the, 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 the powers that be don't want me on the Annie Fry show. They don't want me talking to your friends, Tony Colombo and all those guys, because every time I do, I win votes. Right? And so they have got to suppress – the mainstream media has got to suppress these upstart underdog candidates in order to ensure that the patronage flows. Right? Missouri Times, right? Like, where did all this money Oh, yeah, come no, from? I know. Right? Like, that's, have that's you been on the Missouri example. Times show yet? No. Scott. You haven't? No, no. Scott Fawn is in the bag for Josh Hawley. Come on. Like, oh. you, you know this. I, well, I did know yeah, that, yeah. but I just was yeah. saying that that's a great no, example. Right. Missouri Times is like, you know, that's where no, all the because, Republicans because hang out. Because you put but... me on an interview and I kill it. That's yeah. what I'm good at. That's the last thing that they want. They can't control me. Listen, the Republican establishment would rather lose with someone they can control than win Ab- with somebody they absolutely. can't. I mean, it, it's so obvious. Yeah. They, they, that's why they were they were they were in the bag for Hillary. Yeah, yeah. So after the election is over on August seventh, Jamie, will you say who you voted for in the primary? Yeah. Okay. So I just I I want to at least know the day after. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. I will. <laughs> right. Of course, man. Right. I, just, yeah. uh, but now we I I, would, I didn't uh, I want to clarify this. So mm. are you saying that you're you're not on ninety seven one or you no, will no. be? On, okay. Well, no, no. So like what I've heard from my my connections is that the Holly campaign is doing everything they can to suppress my appearances. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You know, yeah. Like the Dave Glover show and things yeah. like that. They don't want me on that on that. Now, show. Uh, does Reardon have you on? Reardon, Hank Reardon came on. No, uh, yeah, Mark, Mark, Reardon. Mark Reardon. I think. so. 
So okay. I can, I, oh, no, only once I think, but way back in the beginning, Heather would be able to tell you this kind of stuff. But I no, know there there are other interviews that I've had yeah. that have been suppressed, like not on ninety seven one, but on other networks yeah. and things like that. And we know that they're calling in favors. Um, you know, I don't want to say his name, but Holly, Holly has a, a, a you know a, yeah. a guy out there <laughs> who goes out there and does this kind yeah. of stuff, puts op eds in the Kansas City Star, right? Ensures right. that the narrative is what it what it is. Um, I mean, we're lucky that you exist, right? Us underdog candidates, because if it wasn't for Jamie Allman and if it wasn't for some of these rogue yeah. broadcasters, I mean, you know, Gary Nolan in Columbia right. has endorsed me and is out there supporting me, right? And now every time I go in Columbia, people are like, Austin, I've heard you on Gary, I'm voting for you, or I heard you on Jamie Allman, or I heard you yeah. on Tony Colombo. Um, so if we had more time, I think it'd be a pretty much a guaranteed win on my yeah. part because you compare Josh Hawley and I side by side. It's why he doesn't want to debate me. Uh, right. I was going to ask if that was going to happen. Yeah, he should though, right? He's out there. He's a hypocrite. He's calling for Claire McCaskill to debate him, saying he wants to debate. She's ignoring him. Yeah, same as he's ignoring. <laughs> <me>. <laughs> yeah, I know. Wouldn't it be funny if Claire just refused to debate Josh because she has such a massive fundraising advantage? Imagine this: thirty million dollars. She just ignores Josh the whole time. Lets him just just like puts the fit, the hand on his forehead and he's like, <laughs> yeah. "Come." At me. I'm going to get you, Claire, because right. any like disadvantage, people say, Austin, well, you're at a disadvantage to Josh. Claire has that over Josh Hawley as well. Name ID. Go ask people who Josh Hawley is at the gas station. Right. Nobody's going to be able to tell you who Josh Hawley is. There's a certain small elite people who know who Josh Hawley is, or maybe they voted for him in the last election. They vaguely rem- rem- reminisce. <laughs> Have you seen a ballot yet? Yeah. Do they have a ballot? Yeah. Where are you listed on the ballot? I'm, I'm number two on the ballot. but Who's I'll, number one? Tony Minetti. Okay. Yeah, but it was right. it's a random drawing oh, it is. Okay. on the first day. All right. So uh, so it, there's eleven of us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Half of them have not filed any fundraising at all whatsoever, right? Or or more. The rest are either in debt or uh, or yeah or have less than two hundred dollars in right. their bank accounts. Um, I've run the only fiscally conservative campaign that's proven it can beat Claire McCaskill. I'm behind Josh, and by a lot. Josh, Josh Hawley is, is, is in a strong front place, right. front place right now. Everybody else is in single digits, and I'm right here with the poised to be able to give us the victory that we want. Yeah. So we've got five weeks for the grassroots to make a decision about who it is they want to support. I know that people like these other candidates. I like many of them too. I think they're good people. I think they could serve very well. You know, in lots of government positions one day, maybe even with me or for me or perhaps on my behalf in some, in some regards, if we come together. But if we divide ourselves on August 8th, we're all going to be turning around and very sadly and solemnly saying, okay, Josh, are you going to campaign now? Like, you know, congratulations, Josh. And he'll be at the gym in Columbia working out, <laughs> tweeting at Claire yeah. McCaskill, please come, come and debate me. And then, you know, six more years of Claire. Oh, all right. So here's the deal, Austin. Don't don't worry though about. Um, listen, this is not this is not some itinerant broadcast. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I will tell you that uh, no one has more Facebook interaction in the media than Radio Free Almond. Mm-hmm. No one has a higher stream. We're reaching uh, tens of thousands of people every single week. Mm-hmm. More people use the bathroom during my music breaks <laughs> than listen to some of these radio shows out there. Sure. I guarantee you. So mm-hmm. if there's any consolation, mm-hmm. you know, being here is good. Yeah, of course. You know, well, well like, listen, I, I have to repeat it over and over again. Like the grassroots is divided, Jamie. Yeah. And, 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 and we're divided up about three ways. Um, and if we, if it stays that way, if nothing changes in the next five weeks, Josh sails to victory. If we change our strategy and our tactics and we get behind my campaign, we can win. It'll still be tough, 
but we can. Um, and I'm not saying that to scare people. I'm just saying it because it's the truth. No, it's, people really. I mean, I, they, honestly, need to, you need to know where everybody stands. Voter turnout is going to be really high, mm-hmm. and, and I think, and, and I think, unfortunately for Josh, the motivation to uh, fight. Uh, having someone throw, uh, shoved down our throats is significant. Sure, uh, it's and 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 those people who are trying to shove somebody down our throats are vastly mm-hmm. underestimating mm-hmm. the the power and will of the Republican or the conservative and even independent voter out there Certainly. in Missouri, especially. Certainly. I mean, there are disqualifying factors for why people said, you know, I can't vote for you, whether it's because you're an agnostic or because, you know, some other reasons, right? Like you've had one of my opponents on who said, you know, that I was opposed to God, which is not true. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but, I, but I've always believed in religious liberty, and I believe that if we had a smaller government, that churches would step up and play a larger role in society. Um, and so I would ask the people who are concerned about that topic, read a piece that I wrote, Why I'm a Pro-Life Agnostic, and feel free to reach out and send me a direct message on Facebook and Twitter. You know, you've seen me interact. I answer people's questions, yeah. even if they don't like the answer sometimes. Uh, but the, I've always been honest. I'm the only honest man in this race. I'm the only right. honest Republican who's told you the truth about everything. And you have direct message. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, I have that too, yeah. uh, which, is, which is weird because most people on Twitter, even the, the bozos, like turn their turn direct their, message their, off because yeah. I guess they're, they don't want to whatever, but that's it. good. Yeah. I get dozens of messages every day. I respond. Sometimes I call them personally. If they really want that as Missouri voters, I call them personally. Every time somebody donates, whether it's five, 10, 15, 25 bucks, if they're from Missouri, I'd make a point to try and call them immediately as soon as they do and reach out to them and build a, build it up. Cause the thing is once it's over, I win on August 7th, then I do need to go to Josh Hawley who I've been hammering and say, Hey Josh, you know, Let's get on board. Let's do this together, right? Let's be buddies. I want that. I want to reunite the party. You're going to have to have somebody who has that attitude, not a, hey, now it's, I told you so. We don't have time for that. We got six to eight weeks to beat Claire McCaskill. We need a unified Republican Party. Do you, you need a candidate who can do that. I mean, what's Josh Hawley going to do on August 7th? What, do you think he's going to give me a call and ask for my support or for any of my other colleagues' support? No, he's going to have the same attitude that he's had during the primary and just say, no, we got this. Mitch McConnell told me it's mine. I'm going to have this. This is going to be mine. Rather than earning it, respect it. Everything that I have gotten in my life, I've, I've earned. You know, the Judge Napolitano, the show that I, I launched that show from outside of the network, the Judge's show. Yeah. I wasn't even working at Fox. One of the hardest things to do is to break in the television business having never worked in it. But I launched a damn show on the network, not being an employee there. And I went in there and kicked ass with the Judge for two years. Nobody gave that to me. Right. The Judge didn't give that to me. I gave that show to the Judge. Right? Like that kind of like spirit and stick to itness and, and, and that kind of like, you know, gung-ho, get-stuff-done attitude, that's what you want. Not an entitlement attitude. We've got plenty of that in Washington, D.C. already. We want somebody who has Missouri values, hard work. Well, you know, after, maybe after, maybe on the 8th of August, you can can offer to uh, spot... Josh Hawley when he's at the the gym. (laughs) Pay off his campaign debts. Yeah, (laughs) appreciate that very much. All right, buddy. Thanks, Jamie. Good to see you, man. Austin Peterson, uh, website again, my friend. Yeah, Austin for Senate, austinforsenate.com. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at AP for Liberty. All right, brother. Thanks so much. Gia Valenti, thank you, dear. Thank you, Jamie. Appreciate you being here. Thank you all. RadioFreeAlman.com. Don't forget, you get your hats, your shirts. All that other mother jazz there as well. And thank you to Discovery Design. You guys are huge for me in supporting the studio. This is the Discovery Design Studio. So make sure you check them out for all your needs. If you are a big company, small company, you need your construction trucks, you need your conveyors, you need your 
wrap trucks, all that kind of stuff. Light kits, tool kits, you name it. Discovery Design is there for you. So have a great rest of your day, everybody.